Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. A podcast that explores the world through our personal feminist perspectives. Join us twice a week as we discuss the news of the day and answer such questions as... What is it like to come out to unsupportive parents? Is Disney a problematic fave? What's an incel? Is Topanga Lawrence the Yoda of our time? Sure is. (laughs) And Keegan, do we get everything right 100% of the time? Hell no, Madigan. We're always learning and growing and more than open to correcting ourselves. Okay, by the way, we also use bad words. This is your explicit language warning. Sorry. Tune into your Angry Neighborhood Feminist on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we encourage you to to rage rage on. I'm April. And I'm Steph. You're listening to The Thirst. You can find us online with Twitter at The Thirst, soundcloud.com forward slash The Thirst Pod. iTunes, you can find us by searching The Thirst. Instagram, we're at The Thirst Pod. And if you want to get in touch via email, you can do. It's thethirstpod at gmail.com. Um, we're also over on Tumblr, thethirstpod.tumblr.com. And we're also now on Acast. And Acast. What was the other one? I don't know what that is. Oh, I've uploaded the pod onto a few more things. So if you want to have a search for us, you can do. Um, if you Google Thirsty... There are our faces. Can you imagine if that's true? Yeah. I hope it's not That'd true. Be amazing. That'd be awkward. <laughs> That'd be awkward. Burst goddesses. Um, they, this is episode 19. Do you have a 19 I, pun? I, fucking, there are no 19 puns. I can't think of any 19 puns. The only thing I can think of is there's um, one of my favourite Tegan and Sarah songs is called 19. Oh, well, there you go. That's good. That's something. Uh, Adele's got an album called 19. Don't oh, even like Adele. So. Of course. That is a good album, though. Yeah. Has it got Rolling in the Deep? No. I don't know. Don't ask me. I don't even can't remember any Adele songs. You Google you Google nineteen. You, you look get up Adele. number nineteen on what Wikipedia, was her other album? and 20... it tells you references to nineteen in pop culture. Twenty two, twenty one. What? Her second album. Are they all numerous? They're all numbers because they're her ages. This is such great. She didn't. She didn't. Great Adele chat. <laughs> Thanks great. for the Adele chat. Great. Deconstructing Adele. Great Adele chat. Um, <laughs> if you would like to um give us some reviews on iTunes, that would be great, please. Please do. Um, and yeah, if you've got any feedback and questions, please do send it. Um, we don't like feedback, really. Constructive criticism. No feedback is from boys. <laughs> no, unless if you're a man with opinions, don't send them to us. We don't like that. <laughs> Um, so, news. Um, we've kind of got two main things we'll be talking about today. Yep. The first is um, something that has consumed a lot of our time recently. Like a whole WhatsApp feed, really. A whole WhatsApp feed. Um, Pete Davidson and Ariana Grande. That's a thing. That's a thing. Pete right. Davidson of um, Saturday Night Live. Sunil. Um, Sunil. Um, Ariana Grande of... of Grande of, Persuasion. Of Grande Persuasion of the pop world. Of the pop culture um, music world. I've become really obsessed with this and I'm not the only person on the internet who is... Um, just very internet sleuths are really coming out from all corners for this it's been great it's one of those things that it kind of broke through instagram i suppose and then there's been a lot of deep diving in and comparing timelines as to um, i'm amazed at how much people have been able to find out well i mean she so ariana grande had been in a relationship with mac miller for two years um and and they broke off fairly recently yeah or uh, during the timeline during the timeline and then Cassie david um daughter of larry david um had been seeing pete davidson for a while as well um she fucked off to Africa, didn't she? She did go to Africa. So can I go through the timeline for go comedy on. value? Go on, April wrote 
the timeline down. So I'm not, and this has been very much inspired by three main internet posts. One from, um, oh no, they didn't on Live Journal. One from Refinery Twenty Nine that was put together by Catherine Lindsay. I like that you're giving them credit. Hey, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of time. Your hard, work, your hard work, I filled in some gaps, but and then there's one on from the Vulture. You bio. personally filled in some gaps. Yeah, because I've been deeply obsessed with this oh, on Instagram. Christ, go on. So and then there's a third one from Vulture by Zoe Haylock. So. <laughs> <clears throat> Go. May 3rd, Cassie David posts a picture of her and Pete, which is captioned BFFs. Lovely. I mean, that's real friend zone. Yep. So, May 9th, US Weekly reports that. um Sorry, did I just call it US Weekly, not Us Weekly? That's US Weekly. Is US it not Us? Is it I think us people weekly? call it Us Weekly. Do they? Mm, yeah. It's US Weekly, though. Isn't yeah, but it? I think it's like Us, isn't it? Anyway, Us that's Weekly bollocks. reports that Matt Miller and Ariana Grande um, have split up. Um, May 12th, Ariana Grande um, attends the season finale of Saturday Night Live, a party, after show party. Um, she's Peter. pictured She's pictured with a cloud phone case. Remember oh, the clouds? Oh, yes, yes. May 13th, the pair, the pair appear at another party. They've got the same phone case, a mm. cloud. Um, you don't share phone cases, though. That's a bit... I think they've got two the same. I think but what, that's the like, point. That's just, I'm I wouldn't, get, I wouldn't get a matching You wouldn't get a matching anyway. phone case? No. Anyway, uh, May 14th, um, Ari shares an Instagram post um, which is captioned with some cloud emojis. Emojis. People Lovely. start freaking out about this. Um, May 16th, Us Weekly breaks the news that Cassie and Pete have split. Pete then confirms it's on a radio show. May 17th, Pete is pictured with a cloud tattoo on one of his fingers. Really intense about clouds here. Yep, May 18th, Pete gets his tattoo of Cassie David covered up. I mean, the original tattoo was a bit... It was pretty shit, so fair play, mate. Um, May 20th, Billboard Music Awards. Pete is pictured with Ari and her team. Um, she Around this time as well, Ari is also seen sporting a cloud tattoo herself. Honestly, there are so many things right. in this so up that until, I Up until this point, myself. this is like three weeks from the point of which Cassie had posted that picture of her and Pete together so may 21st for the first reports of pete and ariana dating begin to surface may 23rd ari Two publicly addresses the mac miller split she'd gotten a lot of crap from people who'd um, been chastising her on the grounds that she didn't support him and blamed him for his recent dui arrest but he's a d-bag right yeah and fair play to her she kind of posted like a screenshot of a note that she'd written and it was basically in which she, she describes her relationship with him as toxic um and said you know there's only so much a person could tolerate and it's really bad that people were kind of criticising her as a woman rather mm. than actually criticising his behaviour, which I completely support. May 30th, Ari and Pete both share a picture on Instagram of them in Harry Potter garb. They're both in robes. Um, and the caption was, the Chamber of Secrets is open. Yes. Sneaky. June 1st, Ari shares a picture of herself and Pete, but it was taken before his tattoo of his Cassie tattoo David covered was covered up. up, which is very interesting. Scathing. Um, June 2nd, Cassie posted on Instagram from Af- um, from Africa saying, what did I miss? Not much. June 3rd, Pete has some more tattoos and he has an AG on his thumb, I think, and he's got uh, the bunny mask that Honestly, Ari used not to one wear. but two tattoos. No, for the Dangerous Woman tour. Um, clouds. June 9th, Ari posts an Instagram captioned, um, I am but a Pete Davidson fan account, stay tuned for more. Um, around the June 9th to the 11th weekend My time, birthday I think. Weekend. Your birthday weekend. It's confirmed that they're engaged. Um, bonus in this is that Boing. a jeweller has confirmed that Pete spoke to him at the end of May to ask about a ring. Oh, yes, I saw about this. June 17th, um, TMZ speculates that Pete and Cassie were on a break when Ari the Ari hookup began. Ari Instagrams on June 17th, implying that they've moved in together. Pete appears on The Tonight Show at the beginning of this week, June 20th. Um, he was very funny on that. He was fair. very funny. He was with Robert Pattinson, whose party he and Ari had gone to at some point, so that's pretty funny. Anyway, he confirms that he's engaged to... Um, 
Um, we Ariana. all know that. Yep. And then also this week as well, the track listing for Ari's new um, album, Sweetener, has been released. And on it, there is a song that's titled Pete. So... There Can we, we discuss the thing I sent you yesterday? Yeah, about, go. I hadn't included um, that because I thought you would handle that. Is it because it's crude? It's um, my favourite bit is this new song called Pete. Some fan, a fan tweeted asking, how long is Pete? Oh, as in the interlude. And she responded, like 10 inches. Wow. That's some great. And then deleted it. Was like, yeah, no, I do like that she shared that and then deleted it. I don't know. I find this whole thing so weird. When this you look the at the timeline. timeline. Also, the fact that it's like six if weeks. he ordered the ring at the end of May and the jeweller said it take, took two weeks to make, which means he'd already he'd ordered the ring like in the middle of May. Yeah. Which is like Well, the ru- <laughs> the, the rumour mill suggests that Crazy. actually perhaps they'd been seeing each other earlier than than this well, timeline so. suggests. Otherwise, he ordered a ring after like three days, and that makes him really intense. I mean, like really scary intense. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think he wasn't that. I, scary. I, I really like Pete Davidson. I think he's a very interesting guy. Um, he's been quite outspoken about suffering from bipolar disorder and and addiction. He's um he's gone through a lot of trauma. His dad. He's was, an intense man. His dad was killed during September the eleventh. I think Ooh. it was a fireman, and he was one of the um firemen that was unfortunately um, killed when the towers came down so and and you know he has he has done a lot of really good work talking about kind of having bipolar disorder and being diagnosed with that and mm. dealing with his mental health so i think you know he's an interesting guy but also this is very like, intense so, this is so extra yeah this is really very, commits to tattoos quite quickly yeah and and i'm obsessed with like how the just their regularity with which they comment comment on each other's posts i mean instagram's got a new algorithm now where i don't know you if you've see, noticed yes. this but you see like top people's comments it's great for scrolling through because it means they don't have to like sleuth out no like, and it's usually celebrities and people like that so it's you can great. kind of see when so and so's commented on people other people i can posts. see when tan's commented on jonathan right and vice versa yeah i mean all of the queer i lot are super friendly with um ariana grande and, and pete davidson anyway so it's really funny whenever they share anything about each other it's usually like tan anthony jonathan just in a it, line which I, lots of fire which I emojis adore. i just feel like they need to calm down um i think they really need to calm down but I just, um, you know, ha- it'd be very I'm nice ha- if this lasted forever, but that is quite the timeline. Yeah, like that's like quicker than Cat Von D timeline. Oh my god! I mean, I, 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 f- I really feel for Cassie David because I feel like she's in the middle of all of this be- because of this speculation. I mean, she's we're not having it. a great time. No, I mean, and and the thing is, if even if their relationship had come to an end way before all of this had begun it must be really frustrating for her to have all the to be speculation stuck. yeah to be stuck in all in the middle of all of this especially when there are kind of uh suggestions of cheating being thrown around and all of that i mean for ariana grande i feel like it does sound like her relationship with mac miller was quite hard yeah you know she he, yeah no it sounded like he was very yeah, yeah i mean she she talked about how he'd with. been very very supportive in the aftermath of the manchester attacks last year which you know to his credit must have been um, good for her to have yeah. someone to stand by her but it also sounds like he was a guy that's got a lot of problems and she you know was probably dealing with her own stuff how and old is Ariana Grande she's 26 27 she's oh, okay. older that's than, older than I thought I think she's I older than I thought you were going to say like 19 no I'm pretty sure that I woman. I assumed that she was like I don't know 12 because she's so small. everyone's 12 to us April anyone younger than us is 12 um, yeah I mean I will just confirm this just have my own um, need to make sure that everything is um, correct. Uh, she's born in 93, so she's Lord. 24. She is younger. Okay, 24. Yeah, well, I think she was but... older. Yeah. You know. Quite young to get married. Chill out. 
just enjoy well, each other's she company. Was, I, I thought that she was engaged to Mac Miller. So did I. Is she not? So well, no. well, I think she was pictured. These kids and their engagement. She was pictured with a ring after the um sort of aftermath of the kind of the one love concert and stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I think there's one of the rumors I really enjoyed is the fact that actually maybe Ari, in fact, bought her own ring because. Oh yeah the price of it was meant to be quite high and, and you know we should all just buy our own jewellery that's one thing I've learnt well I mean it's a lovely ring and she obviously very much liked it so I mean Pete buy Davidson's own the jewelry, same age then you don't have to hold any, no one can hold it against you no they're both 24 okay so he's 24 yeah you fucking kidding me I thought he was like 45 no he's 24 why do you think he's 45 I know, he just looks older well because he's tall yeah <laughs> Sure, he's tall, so he must be old. Tall and yeah. stuff. So we will I don't be like f- it when people are that young. No, I mean we will be following this as it continues. I don't think they'll ever get married. I think no. that this is very conveniently timed. He's got so many tattoos to cover up now. Right. Lazy. Good job they're small. Um, I think that this is very well timed in terms of her upcoming album release. Um, I was saying Ooh, to conspiracy theory. Well, I was saying to you and Von this we'll morning that stunt. I mean I really. I'm really, 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 really into the singles that she's released from the album. So I haven't, far. Do you know what? I haven't really, apart from that first one, I haven't really heard. There's the I one. I heard the new one. Oh, the one with Nicki Minaj, Nicki Minaj is Minaj. really good. I really like that. And I like um, No Tears Left to Cry as well. It's yes, just I've conveniently timed. And this is the first time, I said to Vaughn this morning, that this is the first time that I'm actually looking forward to an Ariana Grande album. Oh, yeah, coming I've had out. no investment before. No, like I like singles, but I'm not, I've never been an album not person. Fast, but I'm pro- properly intrigued by this. So. Well, we wish them well. So we wish them well. I don't think they'll get married. Stay I, tuned. Stay tuned for further updates and additions to the timeline uh, our second piece of news that um came out this week and that we've been sort of discussing the past couple of days on various social media channels um the trouble with johnny depp <laughs> where to begin a lot of, there's a lot of trouble going on he's a sad lonely strange man um so rolling stone published an article this week it was this week it was um, at the beginning of this week yeah it's by stephen roderick um he uh sat down with johnny depp in london for no less than 72 hours i google mapped where that house was quite by the, way. the interview where is it in london big they put the address it's like 16 yeah i like that they road, did that it's I, I google mapped it. it looked nice yeah i yeah Judging by this, I think he likes nice things. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so Stephen Roderick sat down with Johnny Depp. Um, apparently, it was a, a feature that was kind of devised by Johnny Depp's lawyer in an effort to put Depp and his financial woes in a positive light. Because that backfired. It backfired somewhat um, because it seems that Roderick instead learned a lot and then just published it as it was. Uh, I, I, think that the, I think the fact that um, Adam Waldman... Depp's lawyer had reached out and was like trying to do a, a positive spin on this and then it's just like backfired in such a spectacular way it's, it's so funny to it me it just sums everything up in this entire situation the entire I mean it's a really it's a long article well I asked you earlier if you'd, if you'd read all of it and you were like, like I've I'd read majority I've skimmed and then focused in on particular there sections. are large paragraphs that are talking about legal cases and money and, and, and all so of this complex. stuff and it's so complex and I said to you this morning that like being a famous person and having to deal with your financial dealings sounds like a fucking nightmare. It does. But equally, don't just completely ignore them like Johnny Depp. So <laughs> Some of it is wild. It's crazy. Have you got any favourite parts? Um, I guess the key things I took... We started talking about this earlier on WhatsApp and we were like, no, we must not. Must because save. I was laughing out loud at it, but was also like, we have to save this for pod discussion. <laughs> um, I guess the main things to take away are that Depp has made $650 million. So that is his net worth on films um almost all of it is gone 
Isn't that wild? Wes was like, that's bull. Like, he wouldn't have spent all of that. And then I started going through some of the payments that are in the article. Well, and Wes I, was like, fuck. Can I just read a paragraph? Yes. So um, so he's in one of the things in the article, he talks about how he's suing the management group, who is his favorite previous agency and to he's do basically with... the only person who's ever sued them yeah right so um there's sort of and they talk about in the article about the actual lawsuits and things that have come up in the lawsuits with regards to money and and payments and blah blah, blah. so one one thing in particular i really enjoyed was um this is one of the quotes it says there are a few things depth insists the tmg got wrong for example the thirty thousand a month that the mandels claimed <laughs> oh, yes. he spent on wine it's insulting to say that i spent thirty thousand dollars on wine says depp because it was far oh, more no. depp says they got the hunter, hunter s thompson this is story one of the best too. so if you don't know um Johnny Depp arranged to have Hunter, his close friend, um, gonzo journalist Hunter S. Thompson's ashes fired out of a cannon. So it says, um, by the way, it was not $3 million to shoot Hunter into the fucking sky, says Depp. It was $5 million. Depp elaborates. He says the cost of the rocket launch increased when he decided he wanted Thompson's Ark to be at least one foot higher than the Statue of Liberty's 151 foot height. It's just... Just it's so amazing, you know, when you pass away, when we're old and grey... Are you going to scatter me into the wind? I'm probably just put you in the wind. I'm not going to fire you into the space. Is that put okay? You in the wardrobe. Yeah, that's fine. Not if it cost me... I don't understand how it could cost that much. Isn't it insane? Just buy a firework Th- and but, strap them into But I'd just like it. to go back to the $30,000 a month it's on crazy. wine. How much would you say you spent on wine a month? Oh, at least like £13. <laughs> like, I'd probably... Oh, God. That, I mean, wine to, is that? It... So much that I just can't even. I mean, he must be getting the best fucking wine ever. I bet yeah, but, it all tastes like vinegar anyway. But even if you're drink, even if you're buying like really expensive. I mean, I've got no concept of how much alcohol costs because I don't drink. But even, I mean, it's expensive, but I ain't that expensive. It's not that expensive, no. Though, right? And that's even if that's a, a even if that's a thousand pounds per bottle of wine. So like we're talking about top level wine. That's thirty bottles. That's like a bottle a day. Yeah. I also don't understand how he Who can drinks spend more wine? one point two million dollars. For a doctor on call. I mean, we've got the NHS. That's a doctor on call. I know American healthcare is expensive, but But, I mean... Jeez, guys. Um, Some of my other favourite bits are the brief um, allude to Penelope Cruz, who um, (laughs) told the journalist that um, she uh, went to dinner with Johnny Depp and Stella McCartney and he spent the meal trying to pull out his own tooth. He's batshit, um, honestly. Uh, the Marilyn Manson bit, which oh, I was just waiting for, in on. which he... Um, it's just so funny. In which he kind of, like, comes back into the room, puts on Marilyn Manson's <laughs> Kill For Me video, which is so disgusting and cringeworthy. I just can't even... It's... Do you remember when we first watched it and I genuinely was, like, so... And we were un- out for lunch or whatever. I was so unwell. I felt oh, so unwell. It's so grim. It's just, like... It's the saddest thing you've ever seen. And I like that he says, Marilyn's the best. He's such a good friend. He played Barbies with my daughter. Never before has a sentence sound so creepy don't, to me. Don't let, don't let Marilyn Manson play Barbies mm, with your daughter. Um, I really enjoyed as well. So there's been a, a long-standing rumour about Johnny Depp's um, inability to remember lines that was on my next set bit as well. So uh, this is again as a quote. It says, um, "According to the suit, Depp set kept a sound engineer on the payroll so he could feed him lines through an earpiece whilst filming." This Depp does not deny, saying the sounds fed to him made him act with just his eyes. This bit killed me, by the way. <laughs> I've got bagpipes, a baby crying, and bombs going off. Says Depp. It creates a truth. Some of my biggest heroes were in silent film. Depp tells me, lighting another cigarette. It had to be behind the eyes, and my feeling is that if there's no truth behind the eyes it doesn't matter what the fucking words are oh my god i'd like to i think we should go through johnny depp's filmography and try and guess the scenes and films in which he has babies crying being <laughs> oh, played into his earpiece dude, honestly. um 
the the Osama bin Laden bit's pretty good. <laughs> so, uh, Depp is evangelical in the uses of narcotics. Surprise. Sure. Uh, coke bloat to like <laughs> right? heroin sheep. Oh my god, in, like, what a surprise! Um, and thinks they could have ex- expedited the capture of Osama bin Laden. <laughs> Quote: You get a bunch of fucking planes big fucking planes that spray shit and you drop LSD 25 he says you saturate the fucking place every single thing will walk out of their cave smiling happy brilliant so politics according to Johnny Depp I enjoyed when he was in that paragraph as well was when he's talking about like how um, you can't really get quaaludes anymore (laughs) and he talks about how he got a Florida bouncer to punch him while he was on quaaludes just for kicks He's just like, such a. Um, okay. He, he does remind me. So it's just like no coincidence that he and Marilyn Manson are friends because it reminds me of any recent Marilyn Manson article in which he tries to like tell stories that make him sound like weird or off the like off the wall or whatever. There's something, just sounds really something sad. deeply unsettling about like an aging rocker because he's in that American Vampire. Are they called American Vampire Band? Hollywood Vampires. Hollywood Vampires, like that. that's it, with um, Alice Cooper. But they're not really a band. No. But they are. But they're playing shows are. at the moment. They sometimes play shows that sometimes It's don't. embarrassing. I mean, I've said before, I think, when I saw um, Ryan Adams play a couple of years ago and Johnny Depp came on stage, and I don't think Johnny Depp's guitar was even plugged in. And it no. really did look like, you know, he just, like, Ryan had let him on stage for the sake of it. Because his, like, guitar was, like, swinging But, like, down. he was a dying, like, like yeah. a dying child. And it was, like, a make-a-wish thing. Yeah, or, like, all your mates are like, please, please, please. please, 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 please. Like, oh, yeah, he also came on stage from Marilyn Manson last year. And it was similarly oh, yeah. cringeworthy. Um, the, the other bit that made me laugh just near the end is when they're talking about the various lawsuits he has against him. Sure. Um, it says that he's also being sued by his American bodyguards for back wages and um, allegedly they had to alert him regularly to, quote, illegal substances visible on his face and person. <laughs> just, just walking around with, like, I don't know, coke just hanging imagine, out his nose. Imagine being, like, that into doing drugs, that you have to have someone to go, like, can you just wipe your face? You've just got... Johnny. You've got Johnny, white powder you, on your face. You got, I think you've got a bogey there. I think it... Uh, mm-hmm. um, just, it's just really... The thing is, I was sort of went into this interview thinking it was going to be, like, really shocking... And um, I'd think that he was just the biggest piece of shit ever because it's verging on it. This is just sad. It's really sad. I, I was worried that I would read it and it would be like the most sympathetic profile ever, especially in the aftermath of everything with um, his recent divorce from Amber oh, Heard God. and, you know, all of the kind of sort of discussions about all of the shit that he gave her all of the trauma and grief and the, yeah. you know all of that um and i am i was pleasantly relieved that it didn't try it's and get you on side man, because it basically it? just does say that you know like he is just kind of an absolute baby baby child and man. his his problem is what well, he's uh, you know he's he's saying that the problem with losing all the money is that he was writing all these checks and no one was telling him what he was doing and no one had warned him that he didn't have any money or that his outgoings were obscene. And what you get from it is that actually loads of people told him that and he was quite literally like signing checks and invoices and contracts with his eyes like closed. Yeah, like, which is it sort of, you, it, it does feel a little bit like you've made your own bed here, pal. I mean, you I'm... You are silly. My, my interest in Johnny Depp sailed a long time ago and, and it is a shame. I still because... cannot believe he's in Fantastic Beasts still. It's crazy. Yeah, they do, they do briefly mention that in yeah. the article, don't they, about the fact that J.K. Rowling felt it was appropriate to come out with that statement where she said that like, oh, I just well, don't listen to anything those J.K. Pe- Rowling ever said. No, she said like, you know, all oh, those two people involved have signed you know agreements to not talk about it but that's like right you know that's fine yeah. if that's a decision that amber heard had to make 
you yeah. know, in, in a way to get out of the relationship and never have to sort of talk about it again, which I fully respect. But then also, like, you, you, J.K. Rowling does have the power to basically kick him off the franchise. And I'm, like, super, 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 super bummed that... Um, that he's in Fantastic Beasts. I mean, too. it does ruin it. It was such. I remember going to see it. Was such a bummer when he turned just up at the end of the first Colin. one. You just bring back Colin. It's fine. You could just have anyone. You right? could just have anyone in it. So um, I mean, I recommend anyone reads this article just for the sheer kind of. If you if you're on the fence, shit. if you're on the fence regarding Johnny Depp. Um, oh, he's just. It's sad. I liked that tweet. Um, just to end, I don't know if you saw it. It was a tweet that I think I retweeted, which was basically like someone had tweeted a couple of pictures of like. You know, oh Johnny Depp in 2018 yeah. looking horrendous, being like, oh my God, this man is so beautiful. And someone had been like, I could literally walk into about like seven pubs in Ireland, ask to look at all of the pictures of their like barred uh, locals and every single picture would look like him. Doesn't he just look like a sad rock dad? Oh. He looks like a creepy man that goes to I just like... don't understand how he's gone from coke bloat when we saw him in like December, which was seven months ago, to being... I like, think that's the problem, isn't it? Is that all of his money just goes on things that don't necessarily um, help his um, health or mental state. So let's just, I think we should just put him quietly away in a drawer now. I would really him. like to never hear anything about him ever exactly. again or hear from him. That would be nice. So, um, what we're kind of, what we've enjoyed recently, um, on the movies front, we've got a few things. Um, I will just flag that we will be talking about hereditary and we'll be talking spoilers yeah. about hereditary, but it's kind of our main topic. So we'll get to that at the end. Spoilerific um, But the also end. things that we have seen recently. Seen um, some big hitters. We have seen some big hitters. And um, we went to see, which one should we do first? Solo. Should I'm doing them in the order in which we saw them yes let's do solo so we went to see solo colon a star wars story oh yeah forgot about that bit yeah um which was the one of the which is the second of the star wars spin-off movies after rogue one in 2016 i was about to say what's the first one that makes sense yeah i forget that rogue one is a spin-off really but so um it's directed by ron howard it stars alden enreich um donald glover paul bettany amelia clark woody harrelson thandy newton amongst others um it's an origin story about our um one of our star wars favorites han solo obviously um did you realize it debuted at Cannes this year no, I didn't realise that. That's funny, that. isn't it? So, funny. Um, it debuted at Cannes. Um, the budget for it was um, £275 million. Um, It so far has made £346 million, which by They're Star Wars... They're not pleased, are No, they? by Star Wars standards is not great. Um, it's obviously had a fraud... By normal standards, that's pretty... <laughs> that's shitloads of money to good. me, so I can't really um, sympathise. So it's had quite a fraught production. Um, Lord and Miller, who were the original directors, um, were kind of removed from the project and replaced by Ron Howard. And subsequently, there were a lot of reshoots. Um, people removed from the project people added to the project um before we get into it actually something that happened this week was that lucasfilm oh, and yeah, disney lucasfilm. announced that they've put a, um, a hiatus on the production of any other star wars spin-offs it's just not making them enough money april no, right so they're going to be focusing on official episodes only of this means um no boba fett movie or i don't the... know if i would have been fussed by that i don't care about boba fett i literally who um, I, or, I never or no Obi-Wan. No Obi-Wan. I would have been interested in that, but that's fine. With um, Ian McGregor. With Ian McGregor back. would have been very nice. Um, so episode nine is due next year, I think. And mm-hmm. then there's also the new trilogy to be overseen by Ryan Johnson, which I am actually interested in. Um, but... It's just so many Star Wars films. So though. the interesting thing with Solo is if you think about the, the fact that The Last Jedi came out in December and then... 
um, we've only had a five month gap between that and Solo and ordinarily in between Star Wars films of late it does seem to be that we've had a year so we had yeah. um, Force Awakens and then there was a year yeah. and then there was Rogue and One then we're gonna have and then year. there was a year and then mm-hmm. there was The Last Jedi the press for this and the advertising and everything like that it seems to have come quite late I don't remember mm. seeing I know the the, the big trailer yeah for it was kind of like a few weeks before and the big right. the big trailer for it was um, Super Bowl weekend in February mm-hmm. but that by normal standards that's pretty late when your film's mm-hmm. coming out in may um what do you what did you think about the film itself i thought it was fine i enjoyed it i enjoyed it more than i thought i would because i, I think we both had no interest really well we didn't have any excitement whatsoever for this film no i think we felt like oh we'll go and see it because we should go and see it but i wasn't excited no um, i was really skeptical about it and i tried to I guess because I'd read so much about how the production had been kind of yeah, fractured. I think and... for, because of that fractured production, I think they did really well. Like, it didn't seem fractured. Like, the actual film itself didn't seem fractured at all. Like, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a pretty... You know, it's a straightforward story. Um, it's kind of a heist yeah, movie, I it suppose, doesn't, It's a, a heist movie. Yeah, it's kind of a standalone. It doesn't say too much about, like, the rest of the Star Wars kind of No, it fills in, world. like, interesting gaps, I suppose. So it talks about the Kessel Run, which is obviously something that's yeah. talked about in the original trilogy. Um, it kind of... You've got Donald Glover as Lando Carizian, so he's a character that we've obviously known before, and it's interesting to sort of see him in his it early It was great iteration. to see him in a role, and it was great. I think Alden worked really well as... Um, yeah he i think there'd been a lot of um you know discussion you know i was going to bring up that list of all of the different people who'd um gone for that role because it was just so funny and diverse wasn't it? oh it was like miles teller dave franco was on the list it was kind of pratt chris pratt can you imagine as as a young handsome yeah i mean that's the thing is you uh, one big takeaway i had was that i don't think it really gives i'm not really sure where it fits in the star wars timeline i don't think it really does anything no i don't really know how old hands supposed to be i mean i enjoyed it but i've also forgotten about it yeah which yeah, and i don't too. and i've seen a few reviews where i've talked about how actually it's probably the first inessential star wars movie oh yeah it is. and i think it's true because unlike so the others well. like with rogue one i would gladly go back and watch it again rogue, rogue one is great um again that it doesn't know rogue one adds more to the star wars story it gives I you think. context and i think for kind it's of just a great standalone film i don't think you gain anything from this other than like you no. learn how han gets his name his surname um, which i don't really care about i've that never much. really thought about no. it to be honest and and you learn about the kessel run and what the kessel run is and was yeah and you i suppose you also learn how that he first came to have the millennium falcon from lando but apart from that it's like yeah. it, there's really there's really nothing where yeah. i was like oh my god that's really enhanced Ooh, gonna enhance my a, star yeah. wars viewing experience what going a forward. like explosion of knowledge yeah no, and um, I, th- I, I do think it's unfair that it's had quite a lot of being deemed not a success i mean i think the thing is with comparatively to other star wars films which make like billions yeah. of dollars it's obviously not done as well but i don't think it necessarily means but in that comparison it's bad. to the other the amount of money that other movies make it's doing really it's doing well right like so, i i think it was a i thought it was fun like i had a lot of fun watching yeah, it completely. more than i thought it was a bit cheesy in places mine two my two things that i took away were that i really fancy woody harrelson so much 100 he's fine. just so i fancy he's really so good much. in this isn't he yeah he's really great i think I really he was my favorite yeah, he, he was, was my, my favourite I, character yeah, really in the film him. as Beckett. Um, and 
Uh, I also, my other big kind of takeaway was that Amelia Clark is just a pain in the ass. I can't stand oh her. God. She was I, the worst bit of the film. I remember I, um, a few days later I had, was talking about it at work and I said I don't like Amelia Clark. And... Just because she's attractive. Look, and this is me saying, like, I know I sound like a massive hypocrite here, but just because she's attractive doesn't mean she's a good actress. I don't care for Game of Thrones anymore. And even when I did care for it, I found Daenerys really I didn't care about her. So I'm no. really sorry, Amelia. I liked the dragon. I mean, I, I, um, I, what I found was quite interesting is that Paul um, Bettany as Dryden Voss... Oh, he was great in it. He was really great. I mean, I, I he truly was at his most Shakespearean mm-hmm. scene-chewing. I don't know what it's up with his accent at the moment. Like, it's just... Between this and it's Infinity War, it's all over the place. But what I thought was, um, what I read about afterwards was that he'd replaced um, Michael K. Williams. Okay. I and thought you were going to say Michael Caine. I was like, fucking No, can hell. you imagine that? No, Michael K. Williams um, of um, The Wire and yes. Boardwalk Empire. Um, he had been cast initially in the Lord and Miller vi- uh, version. And he was a, I think he was like a CGI it was like some sort of form of monster creature mm, mm, rather than actually like a human, just, yeah. you know, looking man. So I, I mean, a I human was, looking man. Well, I don't. It, Dryden, it, Dryden Voss is like yeah. meant to be like a it's human, just isn't he? Dude, but, um, I was disappointed because I like Michael K. Williams, but I did enjoy Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany and, was and great. He, you, I, what I thought was quite funny is you could really tell they only really had him for a short period of time. I reckon mm-hmm. because all of his scenes were contained to like yeah. one room. He was like, "Here I am in this room." This yeah, is I like I to imagine they bashed it out over the course of like four, de- four or five days or and something. Then he was off, and then he was off. So doing I mean, his own thing. Yeah, he, he's um, always it was a try, fine, wasn't so. it? It was fine. It was, um, fine. It was pretty enjoyable. Um, something else that was also just fine for me, anyway, um, is Jurassic world fallen Co- fallen kingdom, kingdom. Colon. Co- fallen kingdom. um so it's directed by jay bayona um who i didn't realize had directed, directed the, the orphanage, orphanage yeah. and also um a monster cause which is mm. the adaptation of the brilliant patrick ness um book um it's the fifth installment of the jurassic park franchise and a follow-up to 2015's jurassic world which was sort of the initial reboot of the series um again chris pratt bryce does howard back um also got uh, james cromwell rafe spall toby jones ted levine this time um the general synopsis is that um isla nubar has been abandoned after after the meltdown of the park. Um, but Claire is working for some sort of dinosaur rights agency. As you do. The government is debating whether to step in and rescue the dinosaurs and protect them. And Claire is kind of contacted by um, someone who's looking after um, James Cromwell's character's estate who he'd worked with John Hammond and they're looking at moving the dinosaurs to a new island to create kind of like a nature reserve and everything. But obviously all is not as it mm-hmm. seemed. Um, it was It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, I don't know what you. I don't. I mean, I don't know what I expected going into it. I just really wanted to see it. I I, I like went dress. into it thinking it was going to be absolutely ridiculous, and it was more ridiculous than I expected. I think it certainly says something when you go in thinking like from the trailer, dinosaurs running away from a volcano just looks fucking stupid, and that turns out to be one of the least stupid parts. It was of the absolutely film. preposterous, and I still don't understand why no one learns that dinosaurs just. And humans cannot be friends. They just cannot. Why exist. are we still addressing this after five films? I mean, it's ridiculous. It was kind of. I mean, it's, and, it, yeah. it's very. That's that's the whole point of Jurassic Park, isn't it? Is the fact that like, yeah. you know, finding that balance between man and beast. Um, I, 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 
Well, I not, think yeah. I'm I'm just angry. I fancy Chris Pratt again. Oh yeah, Chris Pratt in those t-shirts. He is. I mean, good. I he's very handsome. We've talked man. before about how we have very um, mixed feelings regarding Chris Pratt, but he is good as Owen Grady. Like, oh yeah, I think it's a really good character. He's really him. good in this role. He's and very he was, funny. He's very he charming. Was, he was very funny in this. I liked. Um, you know him kind of i like the little dynamic he has with um brassels howard as claire yeah i think that's pretty good um she was a bit like slatchered looking at everything in sort of dumb wonder the entire time which made a really big deal about her wearing sensible shoes oh my god Um, the fact that there's so many scenes of her like in boots here i am in boots just to point because obviously there was quite a lot of criticism how she did everything heels last time fine um there are there are a few plot points that really i just found a bit much i really need to suspend some disbelief for a dinosaur film but some of the fucking time scales and the way they're able to like genetically engineer dinosaurs in about two weeks, isn't it and wild? Get from one side of the world to another is just yeah. So the, we will there are a few spoiler warnings here, but my favourite was the fact that so Alan Nubar is meant to be in Costa Rica, and then they, the <laughs> estate where the um, where James Cromwell um, lives is in like Northern California, I think. So they have to then they get on a boat at one point, but you're supposed to believe that somehow it's taken them a day to yeah. get from yeah. there. To, I don't think that's true. That potentially wouldn't happen no uh, there's a whole cloning aspect they're just brushed over like people are just cloning everything now and so, so one of the anyone and everything one of the actual points is that um there that you we learn that one of the, the there's a child in the film and she's actually a clone of uh, james cromwell's cost spoiler um, april well, I said spoiler warning. Who so, is going to be genuinely devastated about the I fact know, that I've ruined this film? Anyway, um, she's actually a clone of a, of a of James Cromwell's daughter and not his granddaughter. As the biggest as... non-twist in the world, but yeah. also a bit. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was completely ridiculous, and um, I liked the auction. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> or the, wasn't rich, it? the rich yeah. ugly arcs yeah, of like. I can see the kind of people have been highlighted. Did you not find it strange that actually the, the price for these dinosaurs was not that it's high? It's not that much. I mean, like, Couple again, like, it was like £2 million for a dinosaur. I'd buy that. Like we were saying, like, Disney thinks that £300 million is like a walk in the park and pretty shit. So that was a big plot. If I had £3 million, I'd buy a dinosaur. That was, right? But that's so easy. That's easy money. That's easy money. Um, yeah, I kind of got the... A lot of people were alluding to the gothic elements, which I guess were quite good, like the big castle, the lab in the basement, sort of um, playing around with genetics. There's a really obvious kind of uh, Nosferatu scene, which is pretty good. It's quite scary, this film. It was scary, wasn't it? But, I, I think mean... little kids are probably going to be quite scared of this film. Yeah, I bet the thing is, though... On that, Tom and I watched probably the week after we watched um, original Jurassic mm-hmm. Park, OG, nineteen ninety three, Steven Spielberg, yes. the best Jurassic, the best Park. Jurassic Park. And the thing that I was quite taken with was the fact that actually there are still things in Jurassic. I mean, I've seen Jurassic Park is one of my favorite films of all time. Mm-hmm. I've seen it so many times because it came out at a time you know when we were kids, and I just was obsessed with dinosaurs and all of this stuff. So it's very much like of a childhood you know fave um but there are parts in that now despite the fact that i've seen it like probably a hundred times mm. still really really shake me up yeah because they're like really, really creepy scary. and really scary really and there's scary. there wasn't really a, a, for me anyway a huge amount in this where there's like genuine suspense I, no i think there are so many near escapes in this film that you don't get that suspense no. or that feeling of tension because you know they're going to be fine you know it's going to be like a hair breadth yeah like, whereas i suppose when you, you see know, the first one you the that first... dinosaur is going to snap its jaws like right next to them yeah like, manage oh, to get away fine. um also i just think i think one of the main things for me that was a problem is that it just lacked that 
with the other films there's always been this kind of sense of wonder around the yeah, the definitely. dinosaurs especially in the first Jurassic Park and even the 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 last film Jurassic World you got a really str- strong sense of wonder and you kind of even though you know they're CGI you're kind of amazed seeing those animals on screen and it didn't have that at all they were just kind of like yep dinosaurs are there now like that's the thing yeah and i so it kind of la- lacked that yeah quite strongly for me it as definitely well. lacks that kind of wonder doesn't it was it? just like yeah Jurassic Park it's just got dinosaurs and shit hasn't it absolutely okay. preposterous but you know fine the weakest one I've seen apart I mean, from Jurassic Park th- Three. three apart from that one which is fine um, but I mean the first Jurassic World like the, it was good, this wasn't is it? the second in a trilogy so the first Jurassic World I think is great that felt like a real return um, to obviously thought. minus Claire's stupid shoe choice but I thought that was a really good film. I really um, liked I, in in Jurassic World. I really liked you know Chris Pratt's working with the Velociraptors. Oh, they and... brought all of that, but it was a re. I mean, people are right when they say it was basically a, like some of the this film was basically a rehash of the other films. Like. Yeah, this was basically Chris Lost Pratt World. with the Velociraptors. Yeah, I could probably. I'm not that fussed about watching this again. I don't think TV. I've not yes. watched anything recently, so the floor is yours to discuss. Um, I was just going to quickly mention. I've watched a lot of TV again. Um, you always is... watch a lot of TV and I watch trash films yeah what a good I just balance. yeah just really into again because it's been a busy month I can just dip into TV quite nicely um but what I did watch uh, I watched season the first season of the sinner um which is on Netflix um it stars Jessica Beale who also serves as the executive producer as an executive producer on the show um it's based on a novel uh, of the same name it first came out in last year and it had quite a lot of critical acclaim although it's sort of like quietly acclaimed i'd say um it stars christopher abbott don norwood abby miller bill pullman bill pullman's great i love bill pullman yeah. it's christopher abbott um charlie from girls yes charlie from girls i was about to say charlie hey. from girls is in this <laughs> super bay um it's, it's quite short. I think it was like eight episodes. I think it's eight episodes long. I've got one episode left that I've been holding on to sure. um, that I'm going to watch when I have a quiet moment. Um, it's kind of styled as a why done it rather than a who done it. Oh, okay. So the first the first episode is really sort of packs a punch. Um, it's about a girl called or a woman called Cora Tonetti who's a young mother. She's married to Charlie from Charlie from Girls. Girls. Yeah, <laughs> lovely. Um, they go on a trip, kind of to the I think it's like to the beach or to the lake or whatever. It's like a family day out with her kids, and she's overcome by this completely inexplicable fit of rage, which leads her to to murder someone in public in front of everyone <laughs> sure. on this day out. So it's com- it's just completely bananas, and there's absolutely no explanation as to why she did it. So she's arrested for murder. And while pending kind of her trial, she pleads guilty. Bill Pullman's character, who's this detective, Harry Ambrose, begins an investigation into her and he's kind of obsessed with uncovering her hidden motive behind it. So she, he really becomes obsessed with this idea of why did you do this? Mm-hmm. Not like how or when or what happened, but why? And she just has no memory. The, they find that she has like a... There is a, a whole phase in her life, like a good two months or something. She has absolutely no memory of what happened to her. So they have to really go back in time. And the the season sort of is a series of flashbacks and sort of present day flashbacks from when she's really young. And it kind of all slowly pieces together as to what happened. Oh, okay. um, and it's pretty, it's pretty dark. It's pretty grim. There's a lot of kind of going deep into her psyche with like hypnotherapy and things like that to uncover all of these kind of really dark secrets. Um, 
because on the surface she just looked like a young mum with a really hot husband with like a really nice kid and you know but obviously there's more to yeah there's going on and oh, it's okay. pretty i mean it's pretty good like it doesn't uh, i don't really understand why they're doing a season two i don't know how that well, works I maybe just, they so, do something amazing in the final yeah episode. so i've just gone on her imdb because um i don't think i've ever just i would just wanted to double check but i don't think i've ever watched jessica bill no anything. this is and the, the only the only the only her. things i know jessica bill for are a she's married to justin, justin timberlake, timberlake and b she used to date chris evans and See the man in the fish and chip shop said I look like her. Oh yeah, he did. Which didn't is not they? true. You you look a little bit like her. I suppose. Thanks. It's for yeah. I've never seen her in anything. And last year, I do remember when this came out. A couple of people that Tom knew were like telling us that we should watch it. And it's it's, it's on good. my Netflix list to yeah. like watch at some point. It's like so. eight episodes. You can breeze through that. It's pretty good. I enjoyed it. Um, again, I haven't watched the final episode, so I don't know what's going to happen yet. How you can do a season two? I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, that's interesting. She isn't is it? great in it, and Bill Pullman's great. His character is very. I could Very 100% flawed. watch Bill Pillman and I love a good flawed detective you know he's got home problems he's got a lot of issues he should be dealing with issues, but, but he's not going to deal with does them he he's going to focus yeah, on does his own work. Um, it's so yeah I would recommend it pretty good um, the only other actually I've just thought about this um, the only other thing uh, TV wise that I know we both have been watching is that season 2 of Queer Eye dropped last weekend Yay! Um, it came at a very good time and um, we've nearly finished your what halfway through we've watched 5 episodes okay. so we just watched the episode with Skylar oh that's Which my favourite so a far, peak I think. episode. I so we've got it's eight episodes again, like the first season. They were filmed at the same time though, so it's not like it's a brand new season. No. Like as in like this it came year. came so quickly as well. Yeah, I think they filmed sixteen and then just decided to yeah. split it based on the reaction. Anyway, so I'm like five minutes ago we had season one. Which yeah, is great. I'm I'm I, I mean, I love the Queer Eye Boys. Um they're great Who Instagram doesn't? follows. I just think they're great people. Um and I love I love the show a lot. Um and I've really enjoyed this second run of episodes. There are some that I've loved more than others, including the Skylar yes. episode. The first episode with Tammy is great. Oh Tammy, where Bobby like tackles Bobby, his demons. I mean, we've said this before, Bobby is so the unsightly. Tom and I were talking um yesterday, in fact, about actually how we've done a bit of a one eighty on Bobby in the sense Bobby that like we liked best. Bobby, but he was like our least favourite. Yeah. But actually, like he's so low key underrated like has the most to do yes he probably is the most has the most complex issues like yes. his past and the first episode with Tammy where he talks about a lot about I mean it was alluded to in the first season but he talks about you know his complicated mm. relationship with church and religion based yes. on his upbringing and things that he'd experienced before in the past and this one was the first episode of the season was so so powerful oh that packed a punch That's um, a good one. I also really enjoyed the episode um, with Skylar as well um, yes who's a trans man mm. and it, um, in the episode they talked um, a lot about kind of what it means to be kind of trans in yes. 2018 in the and in an lgbt in an lgbtq sort of environment, environment um it forced kind of tan to tackle his own um feelings and lack of understanding mm-hmm. about the trans community mm-hmm. which i thought was brilliant there's a great scene where skylar and tan mm-hmm. are having a big chat and you know tan sort of asks skylar if he can ask him some questions about um you know what it means to be trans sort yeah. of, you know how how you kind of come to terms with sort of what that you do in order to sort of make yourself feel comfortable in your own body mm-hmm. and i just thought it was really really interesting um you know just simple things like skylar talked about kind of um pronouns and yes. misgendering yeah. and and at the beginning of the episode you see um skylar's top surgery mm-hmm. and Tan's yeah like a crazy it's an moment. intense you know thing to put your body through and skylar talks about how when he was in hospital um despite the fact that he was having this surgery for a specific mm. reason 
a lot of the nurses and the hospital staff were still referring I mean, to him as she. Yeah, what and... a situation to get the pronoun wrong. Like when you're literally in front of someone about to have that surgery. Yeah, and it's sort of, it's just, I think it did, it did seem really eye-opening. And, you know, it doesn't give you a full perspective about kind of the trans community no. or anything like that. Because no, no you know, 60-minute TV show ever no. could. But I do think it's it's really they're, good they're to have They're keen representation. to represent all aspects of society and the community in this season, aren't they? Or yeah. across the two seasons. Like, it's not Queer Eye for the Straight Guy anymore. It's kind No, of... and I do like with this second set of episodes, there have been, um, you know, Tammy was a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, Skylar got someone from the trans community. Mm-hmm. So it does show that, actually, I think going forward, they probably will have more of a diverse kind of... Mm-hmm. Um, base of people that they will be representing on the show so um it's you know nice to have the episodes that it's been kind of a rough few weeks um and they've kind of been like a nice positive counterpoint Definitely. and they just you know tom and i can't get through an episode without crying at this point, oh yeah so. you always need a box of tissues to hand which is it's lovely and cathartic my other favorite thing is that anthony will quite literally do anything to avoid cooking um hey things i've got listed go ahead things that anthony has done to avoid cooking on queer eye season two builds a castle out of cards um, goes food shopping. Yep. Gets someone else to make some pasta. Fine. Gets some a whole family to make a complete other like family meal. Yep. Makes a picnic. Yep. Uh, and dresses up in hats and costumes regularly. I mean, I'm not mad at it. Did you not like in the first episode where like Bobby is going through? I mean, I th- I think I saw this. Um, someone tweeted this, but it's basically like Bobby goes through this really like internal battle <laughs> about religion, yeah. and church, and everything, and then like literally Anthony learns about mayonnaise. Yeah. Like, literally. Talking about mayonnaise, building castles out of cards. I would watch Anthony do anything, so I'm not mad about it. Discovers eyeliner again. He does make a meal in one of the episodes. He does. Have you watched the Persian dish? Yes. The rice dish. Yes. That's a meal. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I like how There's he... a bit where he goes into a restaurant and they those well, two they go into other restaurants twice and watch other people. I make would food. gladly just eat appetizers if they were constructed by Anthony. The picnic is the peak one. I though. like avocados, so like, I'm not. I'll mad. get someone else to slice this cheese and put it in a box for me. I'm a cook. <laughs> fucking unbelievable hey. but great he's still my favorite obviously um just on the music front not too much to discuss but um we didn't want to not recognize the fact that um beyonce well, and jay-z to. um dropped a surprise album last was it last weekend it was um so it's the carters they're branded as the carters, the carters. um it's everything is love um so it's a surprise release from them they're currently on tour together for their on the run tour mm-hmm. too um and at the end of one of the concerts in london in fact they um basically announced that this album was now available on Tidal. Thankfully, they like doing a surprise album, don't they? Yeah, I mean, thankfully it's now on Spotify. Despite After the like fact two that, days. Yeah, I mean, I downloaded it and then... Oh my God, that was so funny that you had to make so much effort to I went to the it. effort of finding a not necessarily legal download of it because I refused to get Tidal and then it was on Spotify the day after. So <laughs> slightly annoying. And um, they also dropped the video for Ape Shit, which was um, filmed in the Louvre. And that's a good, that's a good track. It's such an amazing video. It's just and visually brilliant, good. as you'd expect from some someone um like Beyonce in particular um I find the fact that they managed to shut down the Louvre to film within it funny because I'd forgotten that when um Kim Kardashian and Mm -hmm. Kanye West wanted to get married um they they got married at Versailles but But they want to get married their first choice was the Louvre and they were turned down so how how that's so they're really making a point there like we can shut down the whole Louvre yeah this music video but you can't get married um and the album is good I've only listened to it really I've listened to it a couple of times and it's pretty good it's good yeah i mean it's not it's not um lemonade level losing my shit over no but there are some there are some good songs on it Um, there's a few salty lyrics i'm into there's a few digs 
I do like when she Beyonce's rapping um Dr. Dre. Oh my god, yeah, that's yeah, I, really I was quite into that track. That. That's a good track. Um yeah, I think we discussed this the other day, like just the spark around and this is quite mean, but the spark around Jay Z and Beyonce is kinda I'm a bit fatigued. Yeah, it's a I bit... love her, but I just they're they're sort of. I mean, this is meant to be kind of the conclusion of like that three oh, act yeah. sort of the, the self titled anger, the, the self titled Beyonce record, and then Lemonade, which is obviously mm-hmm. the kind of um, you've cheated on me yeah. record, and then this is meant to be them coming back together. And I do appreciate the artist artistic thread between all of that, but I also I'm just I'm I'm it's very public therapy then. Yeah, I'm surprisingly less interested than I thought I would be. Yeah, yeah. Which I think speaks um, volumes. But I'm 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 gonna it's, it seems like a nice summer record, so I'm interested to see how much I listen it's to it. It's definitely like it's definitely one that I'm happy to play, like I'm sure I'll play it again. I enjoyed listening to it a couple of times. I find it amazing that they are I mean, they're still on top of the world, like whatever my opinion is and I yeah, the the fire around them has kind of been I do think that she runs shit though and I quite enjoy that. She that does she, run shit. And um, she's the boss and they're he's averaging just sort of... um five point five million a show on That's that tour. Insane. So Johnny Depp should hit them up for some money because it's, it's crazy. Really, really insane. Um, something else on the musical front as well, which timed nicely with the release of their um, new album, Bad Witch. And um, we saw Nine Inch Nails this week. Yes, we did. Um, as part of Robert Smith's Meltdown Festival at the Royal Festival Hall in London. Yeah. Um, it's sort of Bad Witch. It's Have you listened to it yet? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have. So um, it's the first full length. It's not really a full length. It's not a full songs. length. It's still this is, an EP. This is really a wound me up that is being. Um, we're calling it an album because it. They didn't want it to be categorized as an EP on Spotify and streaming sites because then it will get lost. Then it doesn't come up on the album. Fine. Front. So there is a method behind the madness, which is fine. I don't give a shit enough. So Completely it's fine. An album. Um, fine. First full length since um, Hesitation Marks in two thousand thirteen. Bad, which is kind of the third in this sort of trilogy set, which we talked um, about the previous EP. Yeah. So it's the the, the kind of the end of that um and it's been like a really fast output over the last year it or has so. i was thinking about that actually because i when i was looking at the discog nine inch nails discography and kind of just trying to figure out you know like release mm-hmm. times and stuff and um it does seem to be like in the last year or so we've had that yeah it's been really kind of... fast i think it's i think it's a really strong output and i think atticus ross has it's a lot cohesive. to do with that yeah has a lot to do with that and the live stuff uh, the material live came across really really well yeah i think, I think it helped just you get a real sense of the kind of soundscapes and the, the stuff kind of behind it that you might sometimes miss when you're listening to it on like earphones i was explaining that to tom because he's like demonstrably not fussed about nine inch nails mm-hmm. and never really has been and i said to him i actually think that you would probably really enjoy them live because there's something so awe-inspiring about just seeing how they construct the, the songs yeah in they're a live so setting. tight and there's such a load of technical difficulty there and the way it's layered is just it's really amazing to watch and wes and i sat somewhere else because you could only buy four tickets for the show and these were really high in demand tickets because it was a 2000 capacity venue which just doesn't Isn't happen that wild? for ever and it will never happen again um, and Wes and I were sat on the balcony on the front row which was like a crazy spot and we were just watching like not just the band but just like the roadies and stuff the way they had it so the orchestration tightly set up of it was insane. pulling stuff away and putting stuff into place like in between songs was just absolutely crazy I was doing the same the parts you know they are like wheeling out the yeah. lights and wheeling back in like again there was like eight people just... like 
wheeling this thing within like three it's seconds so and well scheduled so well timed um, it's crazy and yeah they played a lot of the fragile um, which is interesting I think obviously Trent Reznor is known for having quite a sort of a dark past and I think he suffers from that a lot still so it's not he's a very very successful man and he's got a big he's got lots of children he's got a very loving family but I think he struggles a lot and he's a very he's a very serious person and he's it felt quite there was a part where he talks about the recording of The Fragile and he talks about being in London he mm-hmm. talks about Alan Mulder um, he worked on the album with mm. him and I just thought it was quite I don't know it just felt really poignant the fact yeah. that he basically had come on stage and you know they they opened with the first four songs from yeah. The Fragile and then Which he talked ballsy, later on but, about yeah. how ballsy is that mm-hmm. the audacity um, and then he talked later on about how he just decided that like they wanted to play loads from The Fragile yeah. which you know which serves the fans it must be well, must but... be quite surreal being in London where quite famously he um, had an overdose yeah and like up until quite recent like even The Lovers which was on the middle EP is like a song that is primarily about addiction and relapse mm. so it's something that he obviously still battles so much respect to him and like the whole band for that it was really called cool Sciaticus Ross it's the first time I've seen Night and Inch Nails with Atticus yeah because I was thinking the last time that we saw them mm-hmm. was 2014 when we saw them in Paris and that yeah. was my first time of seeing Nine Inch Nails live and prior to that I'd sort of like liked the band yeah. um, but I'd never had the opportunity to see them live yeah. And for me, that really elevated how much I appreciate their music because you kind of... It's a crazy experience. Yeah, so it was interesting, to, like you say, to see them with Atticus Ross, who's quite famously, you know, got a really fruitful relationship Mm. with Trent Reznor on Mm. on a kind of um, film score kind of level. And now he's part of Nine Inch Nails. He just connects on a level, don't they? Yeah, so it's it's interesting that he's now part of the live experience as well as just the actual kind of um, record studio-based stuff, so... They covered covered Gary Newman, which was great. I think that was slightly underappreciated. There weren't many people from my... standpoint on the balcony who were hyped about that at all that was great and he they covered David Bowie and that was very very cool that really and that came out really well um and it was like a two-hour set and it was just I think killer, it's funny really. because I wrote, there are so few acts now that I think I have the attention span to tolerate more than about a 90 minutes set oh yeah and I could have honestly watched them for so much longer just watch them for hours they're so good they're so tight it's just crazy loud and crazy intricate it's a really just... full full-on overwhelming experience so I'm really glad that we were able to get to tickets and um very fortunate very very fortunate so for our main topic this time we thought that we would kind of um take a lead from one of the films we've seen recently and talk about um the horror genre um we went to see hereditary um last weekend yep. in fact um something we've been looking forward to seeing for a while and it kind of got us thinking about the kind of recent spate of modern horror prestige horror elevated horror whatever you want to refer to it as being and mm. um, we've talked about kind of things that we've seen over the last year in particular and there've been stuff previous to that of this kind of new wave of 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 the genre um sort of a bit of a departure from what you would perhaps expect from horror films yeah um so i think if we talk about hereditary first and then if we kind of go on to the genre and and sort of a recent sea change in things that have been associated so um, hereditary itself is a debut feature from ari aster um he'd previously directed some um short films um it debuted at sundance in january this year and then screened at south by southwest in march where it got a lot of press it stars tony collette as annie a woman who's dealing with the recent death of her mother ellen from whom she'd been estranged for a very long time um gabriel byrne plays her husband steve um with alex wolf playing her older son peter and millie shapiro as charlie who's her unusual daughter mm. i've kind of read a few interesting articles in the aftermath that kind of explain how it's kind of um 
about it's a kind of a family drama i suppose um there was uh, jenny hugh on the ringer um she's talked about how the movie tracks a disintegration of nuclear family unit a mum a dad a son a daughter and a dog which we understand is pre um precipitated by both supernatural sources and very very human impulses i listened to a um podcast recently which is the big picture um with sean fennessy which is an interview with ari aster and in it um ari himself referred to the film as being a family tragedy which curdles into a nightmare which mm. seemed like a very appropriate kind of um synopsis really of the film itself and what did you think i found it really hard to sum up what i thought about this because i think it's had so much hype it's been hyped as kind of um the scariest movie of 2018 the scariest movie since the exorcist the new exorcist and even the scariest movie ever it's been described as a kind of like you said like a psychological horror a dark family drama so i think i went in with really high expectations yeah. especially because it's a24 absolutely um and i think i was the only negative review i'd heard at that point or i say negative was mark kermode who said that it was disappointing so i was i wasn't it's really hard to describe i think the first third of the film is really really promising and um is like one of the most sort of tense and fraught things i've watched so it's it's really traumatic um you were describing sort of annie suffering from the trauma of the relationship with her mother Mm -hmm. who is very manipulative very kind of emotionally abusive she's got uh the whole family have got a history of mental illness um and annie is really concerned that she's she's been the puppet for her mother and that her daughter will be affect charlie will be affected in the same way so talks a lot about sort of i think the real tension in it isn't you know it's not what people would expect from a horror film because no. the actual tension and the horror it's familial anxiety it's um it's that fear of becoming your parents it's this whole aspect of uh kind of puppetry of children and using children um and Annie's got this Annie is she's like a she works with models so she's, she's an a miniaturist artist. yeah she's she? a miniaturist um and she's a kind of puppet master herself over these little model people that she um creates to reflect her own life and I guess to deal with her own trauma so it has this huge build-up that just made me feel and I'm sure you did as well just felt awful and yeah Sick. Yeah, there's this overwhelming feeling of, of dread. dread and just unease and just, you know, I think the way that it looks at grief and trauma mm. and it's this kind of, and again, you, you refer to the mental illness kind of vibe that's kind of alluded mm. to. And there is this sort of overwhelming feeling of dread and It's and horrible. Sadness. It's just ominous and looming. It's, it looms. It, that looming is you like know perfect, something's coming. Yeah, yeah. It's just general um, unease. And I think the, and this is, it's a spoilery discussion, so fine. The, the moment that you don't expect, which is Charlie's death, mm-hmm. which is the first big kind of hitter yeah and i thought that was so shocking like i felt i just felt sick and it wasn't even the 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 gore of it It wasn't even that it was like i knew you know a few seconds before like when she stuck her head out the window i knew what was gonna happen and i just felt awful i just felt so awful um, it's really interesting actually because i think that you're really kind of charlie in particular is set up she's quite an unusual child Mm. she talks she really you can see that she's really struggled with the death of her grandmother she Mm -hmm. obviously had quite a close relationship with her grandmother um we learned later on that um annie and ellen her mother had been estranged for a long period of time Mm. but ellen became unwell with dementia uh, 
Alzheimer's, I think. Mm. Um, and then she ends up moving back into Annie's house, which has sort of always been kind of an issue. And then she's developed this really know, fierce attachment. Annie, Annie to talks Charlie. about how she had Charlie basically, you know, mm-hmm. she kept her away from Peter when he was born. Yep. But when she had Charlie, she gave her, she gave, gave Charlie her, to her mother. Really and and Charlie phrase, really is there? set up as this sort of slightly strange. She makes loads of creepy kind of models. Clucking noises. She, she and, makes a weird yeah. like clucking noise. She, um, draws a lot and she's she's posited as as being almost the locus of the weird uh, the creepy child and the trailer yeah. I think and you expect that. that you expect it that it, you, you kind of immediately see her you see that she's quite unusual that she's got a lot of issues and you think like yeah okay you know my preconceived knowledge of, of what the genre creepy child movie creepy child movie yes and then and then all of a sudden she's taken out of the game and you're like fuck like and I love I love when that happens and I think you get it more and more now as people like directors like taking big yeah. sort of leaps of faith and doing something that people weren't expecting and i think the you know this idea of um ari kind of playing manipulating the audience mm. oh there's a lot um, of manipulation, you know, manipulation from the trailer onwards really feeds into this idea of you know annie's mum manipulating her she, you know it, this whole sort of like feed down of manipulation it's like a cascade um, there was a piece on the ringer by written by Adam Naiman, which I think I sent to you because I said I felt it feels like that piece in particular really kind of captured my mixed feelings towards the yes, film. Yes, yeah, that was but a really good. Just regarding Charlie, there was a quote really? from there I pulled out. It says, "Having established Charlie as the locus of the most most of the weirdness, um, Aster suddenly takes her out of the equation with extreme prejudice, leaving Peter as the sole conductor for both whatever's lurking in the shadows and Annie's increasingly supercharged mm. rage and mania. This fraught mother-son dynamic is hereditary strongest point, partly because it touches on taboo feelings of parental." resentment that many other movies of the genre or not won't touch um in that sense actually so charlie gets taken out of the game as it were um and then peter kind of becomes this locus of yes of you know ptsd and trauma and the focus is suddenly on him and actually the way that the relationship between annie and peter Mm -hmm. is presented to us reminded me a lot of um relinda ramsey's we need to talk about yeah 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 because there's a scene quite a a really intense scene where they're at the dinner table after charlie's died Mm -hmm. and there's this real kind of like Peter knows that his mum's got something to say, to say but she doesn't want to say it. and they have this really volatile argument mm. where basically she you know says that she kind of really resents the fact that Charlie's dead and then and later, it's his fault and it's, it's his, his fault. fault and then later on you know again they have another conversation where she basically tells Peter that she didn't want to have him She's she never wanted to have kids unreal again like a really horrific thing yeah and it say. really did remind me if we need to talk about Kevin this way the kind of you know you have a child and then suddenly they're your responsibility but mm-hmm. actually like you just have an exceedingly full yeah. relationship Did with that, this person yeah, resentment ever go away yeah as well. ab- absolutely and and you know the thread of ptsd 100 percent runs throughout basically f- yeah. from annie and her experiences with her mother and also mm. peter and his experiences with with annie mm. um there's I, yeah there's I, the whole pa- you know she annie talks about how she um she, she sleepwalks and there's in the past she's woken up in the night and she's poured um lighter fluid on peter and charlie's bed and she was stood mm-hmm. there with a match and it's obviously quite a traumatizing experience which peter is still de- dealing with and also annie is struggling yeah. to deal with as well and it's just this this real again that that all adds into this kind of unsettling kind mm. of i did feel a little bit like it was a film of two halves yeah um, i mean the and when we talked about that immediately after we came out which i thought was quite interesting that actually that was our first reaction was that like there's a definite break where it goes from one thing to another yeah for me when the seance scene comes which isn't even halfway through it's like a third of the way yeah. through when uh Anne, annie meets Anne dowd's character 
um, you're kind of introduced to this sort of you you are you know from the get go that Andal's character is not to be so trusted, right and there's yeah. very strong elements of Rosemary's baby in there. But I felt that the the moment they decided to have the seance, like all of that tension for me just dropped. Mm. And I really I really enjoy films, and especially you know it's sort of specifically in genre films and in the horror genre where you get a film that sort of seems to be one thing and it quickly descends into another, and I think that works really well. And that sense of kind of unraveling can work really well. But I just didn't think I I just dropped all the tension for me. I just kind of I don't know. It, it, it is a film that feels like two separate halves. And I feel like the second half, which is sort of described by, like you said, by the director as like a, a nightmare and kind of an unraveling. It's really creepy. And there are particular images that really stick with you and are really freaky. And I think it's for like the second half of the film really kind of relies on a lot of those horror tropes, which is fine. And I think is good. And in in I think as, as a standalone, if that were the film, it would be really effective as that type of film. But it felt like two very different types of film that had been kind of merged together. I think that that was my kind of problem with it, in a sense, was actually the fact that as two separate entities... The, the things that it was looking at were, you know, things that I was interested in. So you've got the back half where it does get into more of the, the occult yeah. and kind of Which you know, I mythology and, I, and pagan stuff. That. And I absolutely love that kind of, you know, films that look at that kind of thing. But it just felt very like there was such a definite shift. I mean, it's interesting that um, um, Ari Aster himself admits that hereditary starts as one thing and ends as another. And mm. I don't necessarily he think that he perhaps means it in the way that I then, that we've then mm. interpreted it. I think, yeah, I think they are trying, I think he was trying to do a particular thing but I'm not sure it kind of I'm well, not sure it fully worked and I felt like Peter's as you said Peter's PTSD I think was one of the elements that did that was kind of the one element for me that did stick all the way through and worked really well his kind of trauma and well you can just I mean Alex scenes really did work and that that was like the one piece of trauma that carried through from beginning to end Alex sure Wolf did a did. really good job in the film of kind of just conveying the sense of, of there's someone that's definitely carrying baggage mm-hmm. Like you can tell from the offset that he's just like ninety percent of the time it felt that he's really not not there. You mm-hmm. know he's obviously you know you see him kind of like getting high all the mm-hmm. time as a distraction from yeah. whatever he's dealing with, and I think that that carries through the film. I mean I think the the Adam will link to it because I think the Adam name and piece on the ringer he talks about how Ariaster kind of quite brazenly borrows things from other films, and especially in the latter half of it, for me it did feel a little bit like oh well this reminds me of that, this reminds me of this that, and that's of, not yeah. necessarily kind of a bad thing because I think across the genre itself you do often see things that are quite referential but I think that I was quite surprised by the reaction especially after a lot of the press that I because I think I mentioned it to you probably around the time of South by Southwest because I'd listened to a couple of podcasts and read an article about the fact that it would had such a you know it gained such a visceral reaction from crowds that had seen it at that time as being really unsettling and upsetting and that's not to downplay some of the stuff that's in it that is very intense and is very upsetting but it definitely isn't the most upsetting thing that I've seen and I'm not saying that as a like oh I aren't I able to really because no. I, I'm I mean we'll come on to this when we talk about kind of horror more broadly and especially mm. recent stuff but I'm not someone that considers themselves to be able to withstand the most extreme things ever there's still stuff that i absolutely will never re-watch because it's deeply unsettled yeah, me. yeah, yeah. but i think i could quite happily sit through this again and not just i mean it it shook me up and i felt kind of creeped out it was creepy it, yeah, creeped it was me out. creepy and... and there are parts of it that are really are very intense mm-hmm. but i'm just really surprised that it 
it it's really had the level of hype. Yeah, for what you were saying about borrowing from other films, um, I hadn't really seen anyone else kind of make reference to that until um, I read that Adam Neyman article, um, because I felt very similarly in that I almost feel like you could compose like a like some Twitter thing of like hereditary and other films like still for still because watching it especially in the second half you've got like the witch you've got don't look now you've got rosemary's baby you've got the exorcist you've got the kill list you've even got drag me to hell there are shots that are reminiscent of the shining um and i just like you said like it didn't sometimes i didn't think it did feel like a homage and you did you know as you also said like the horror genre is very sort of self-referential but it did feel it was interesting that adam Naiman used the the term brazenly ripping off and it did feel um a little bit like that and i think it's kind of interesting that one of those articles i can't remember which one it was where ariaster basically says like he doesn't watch horror films. He hasn't watched horror films since he was like 13. And that the reason he put forward that screenplay was because he thought it would be picked up more easily than anything else. And it just differed so much from like the attitude that like Robert Eggers had before. Like, yeah, I mean, just, I don't know. It just, it did feel a bit, it kind of cemented this idea of it being a bit of a brazen ripoff. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I, in the the interview I listened to with um, Sean Fennessy, Ariaster talks about how he's been always been interested in the grotesque. He talks about how the first horror movie he remembers shocking him at age 11 was Brian De Palma's Carrie yeah. um, he also mentions um, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and His Love which isn't a, tra- isn't a horror mm. film but he says how it traumatised him, the sheer idea yeah. behind it, he says it's never his mission to create dark films but everything comes out that way, he actually has more of an interest in making dark comedies mm. wow he failed here monumentally <laughs> yeah I mean I don't know I just I have found it very very interesting and maybe this is a good point to kind of go on to talking about prestige horror elevated horror as a whole So one of the things that I think um, sparked our decision to kind of talk about um, hereditary as a full topic Mm -hmm. um, and sort of horror generally was this article that um, we have mentioned by Jane um, Hugh at The Ringer, um, which sort of discusses the idea of prestige horror Mm. and sort of elevated um, horror films, which we've kind of seen a few good examples of over the last few years in particular. So in the article, she talks about kind of the idea that actually horror as a genre is becoming more prestigious. Yeah. And that in the past, it kind of has always been considered a little bit more of a kind of, I don't know, a bit maligned. Yeah. And like, you know, I I think with a lot of genres anyway, it's sort of, you know, for the masses, it's Mm. kind of a, it's pop culture rather than highbrow anything. Yeah. And it's the same with horror literature and European Gothic and that kind of thing. It's just, I don't know, horror across all kinds kind of uh, platforms always seems to be something that's seen as kind of quite mainstream but like not of a particular quality yeah i think that was what one of the things that she talks about is actually how kind of horror films recently in, in particular she cited um the babadook um mm. anna lily armpaws um a girl walks home alone at mm. night obviously at the beginning of the year get out won an oscar mm. um and all of those kind of are considered horror films and they've give garnered like real critical acclaim mm. and I, mm. i've I mean, I think I've found it interesting because I'm not someone that has necessarily been like particularly a horror fan mm, consistently. Mm. It's only really in kind of like my later later years, as it was, that I've kind of become a little bit more interested. I mean, you've sort of yeah, always guess, been a fan. Yeah, going I guess in. You, there is like a real like emergence since. I don't know. In my head, it's sort of most notable from like it follows onwards, which is yeah. my 2014. 
whereby I don't know where horror films feel like they're having a lot more to say. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether that's... Com- I mean, it's not, you know, that's not always been the case as in there are other horror films like in the past that have had a lot to say, but it does seem like there's like a real There's been a bit of a shift. sea change. Yeah, there like. has. And it's in the sense that I think a lot of the more kind of those new films, especially in the last five years, I suppose, are responding to kind of like political and social and kind of cultural mm. issues in a way that perhaps kind of the big horror films or just horror generally in sort of previous years Mm. hasn't but I mean I think about when I've kind of read stuff in the past where it talks about the origins of kind of like really early horror films Mm. in particular Mm. they come from like a very politically charged background and if you think about kind of the 60s 70s Mm. you know those films do come from a particularly kind of social commentary yeah it's a lot about social commentary and so yeah yeah and a lot about kind of resistance and Mm. that kind of thing and it's always going I guess because it's always going against the grain or that's something that hasn't made it very popular I don't know. Yeah, it's... it's interesting how it's kind of like burst out into the mainstream mm. and then it's almost like come back around mm. again to kind of get critical, sort of critically lauded mm. a little bit more. Um, so that, I mean, we'll definitely, we'll link to that particular Jane Hu article because I think that... It's really good. It's really it's, interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting and she kind of breaks it down in a really interesting way. It's a really good article. She does talk about, um, yeah, kind of like the underground sort of lowbrow nature of it mm. in the past, which is sort of, you know, seems sort of slightly at odds as the way mm. that kind of they're things are becoming a little bit more kind of prominent and popular she sort of says um prestige horror isn't a measure of whether a horror film is good or bad as much as it is a broader indicator of how horror as a lowbrow genre is recognized to have the same cultural capital as other more mm, highbrow films mm. which is sort of what you talk about yeah, actually about yeah. how it's not necessarily been as or almost sort of disregarded a little mm, bit mm. even though these films are probably just as good as anything else that's sort of in any other genre but because it gets classed as horror yeah yeah it's almost sort of not not as you know absolutely yeah definitely so you mentioned it follows Mm. as being kind of where there was sort of an interesting kind of shift in the way that horror is almost kind of looked at um i thought i mean i think when we'd sort of been putting together sort of what we were going to be doing we sort of said we'd talk about some of our favorite Mm. um horror films from sort of i think i said past five to ten years but it's almost like those kind of ones that sort of i've tried to stick strictly within 10 years what are some of your kind of things that stand out for you as as being sort of slightly different to those sort of mainstream kind of I was in my top yeah my top ones I didn't go for just well I say that mm, I think I it's did. well I mean what do you when we sort of when you kind of think about like prestige horror and elevated horror yeah what do you what do you kind of think of well, firstly, I hadn't even come really across the, the idea of prestige. No, I hadn't. That wasn't was, like a, yeah. I didn't realise that was a thing. No, I didn't. And then it sounded horrible initially. And I kind of get what it is, but it does sound like that horrible kind of like, oh, it's horror, but it's not like that like lowbrow horror. Yeah, 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 it's like It's not like lowbrow horror. No. It's like, and I think there are some examples of that before. I think the most, for me, like I said, like the most notable was it follows onwards mm-hmm. and we've had like The Witch it follows it comes at night Get Out Babadook Babadook yeah all of those kind of films that I think are really in the forefront of my mind and I guess they are all films that say something about our present day I think it was in mm. that article you were saying that Jane Hugh article she talks about like other prestige genres such as the western or war film often refer us back to history yeah so it's like horror in the past whereas a lot of these horror films 
films now are very have like a lot of immediacy and are very sort of responsive to kind of the present so yeah i do wonder if that actually says a lot more about like the sort of shifting social and political climate Mm. that actually everyone's sort of you know turning back towards a genre that actually in the past had kind of just been a bit like perceived to be like more fun Mm. and Mm. and you know sort of i hate to say trashy in in i don't mean in a negative way but it's that kind of like yeah it's always been considered that whereas actually when i was thinking about the fact that so when i was a a kid and a teenager like i just absolutely just couldn't tolerate any horror movies like i just was almost it they anything of of that kind just freaked me out just wouldn't just Just didn't enjoy it but it's really in kind of like the last 10 years in particular i think for me that i've actually been able to kind of Mm. watch stuff and not get sort of so weirded out and i do think that maybe that just says a that's just comes with age i suppose but then also i think that maybe it's just because actually you realize the older you get that like the world is pretty Mm, horrifying so that stuff that has sort of been perceived to be quite scary and and Mm. terrifying on screen is actually more of a reflection about the world around us which is sort of you know yeah it's kind of it's that and it's also like i think filmmakers have been forced to kind of maybe do something different with the genre and have Mm. had to say okay i'm not i don't want to rely on the usual tropes that we've had for kind of decades and i'm going to do something new and everyone's been kind of forced to subvert you know the the cliches of the genre and try and do something different in order to make their kind of mark on their filmmaking so we've had all these films that have come out that have played with the ideas of what yeah we think that genre to be yeah um, so I think that's really interesting as well. And there have been some really, really good ones, I think. Like in the past 10 years, mm. I think there's been... What were your... Did so you... Some of, yeah, I mean, it was an interesting exercise for me because like I said... Did it make you realise how many films yeah. you've actually enjoyed? Yeah, absolutely. Because I was sort of... I mean, they were the main... sort of. The, so the ones I sort of did narrow mine down into like a, a top, top, quote unquote, five. And then there are some others that I really enjoyed. But the thing that was really striking for me is that when I was going back and kind of like looking at lists to mm. kind of prompt my memory Mm. I'm moving like oh yeah that was a film I really really enjoyed that um, I'd completely wouldn't necessarily thought was horror because I suppose no, that's the we, thing Wes and as I well. were discussing that we were like is does this because I was saying to him like do you think this film counts do you think this film counts because there were quite a few like you said to me about like Neon Demon yeah like does Neon Demon count and just because there there are films with like horrifying elements does that make them a horror film like it's yeah it's it's an interesting one so my I guess my top five would be they're not really in any order apart from the first it's really one. hard to do them in order yeah. I didn't do mine in order no really i mean the one that i genuinely think is probably my top one is um the babadook oh that was so 2014 and i think that that for me like we were saying about how it kind of taps into sort of present day issues Mm. and stuff that for me i i still i think about it so often and i do wonder if it becomes from it comes from a place of like it really tapped into sort of my anxiety and fear about like motherhood yes and having a child and actually the responsibility of that because that whole fits quite well into hereditary yeah territory yeah absolutely well actually when i was reading some reviews of hereditary when like we were saying about it being quite referential Mm. and other stuff the babadook came up a lot actually about the sort of thread of motherhood and Mm. you know having a child and then not necessarily kind of knowing whether to you know your relationship to your child so the babadook really like has really really stayed with me um i've also got the the witch obviously from yeah. 2015 the, the, the um robert eggers which is um a24 um again and um get out 
as well, of course. Yeah, which, yeah. you know, social thriller, I believe Jordan Peele referred to yeah, it as. Yeah, they're also strong. And The Witch is kind of a bit of an anomaly because it is, like, historical. Yeah, but... it's, I found The Witch interesting. I mean, we saw it together and I found... Because it's not necessarily a film that I would have... That's in a setting that I would have necessarily yeah. thought that I would mm-hmm. have enjoyed. But like Hereditary, actually, there is that overwhelming feeling of unease and... Real with the soundtrack and I can remember the music and stuff. What? Just really... Just feeling really unwell. Yeah. Um, so I've put... I've got Green Room. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's one of those ones where you're like, is it a horror? Is it a... So, yeah. I don't know what else you put it in. Thriller? Thr- yeah, so 2016, um, the directed by Jeremy um, Sonia, who did um, Blue Ruin, which I really enjoyed as oh, well. Blue Ruin. I think Green good. Room really tapped into, I don't know. That had horrifying elements, it's really didn't it? And horrifying, again, and it's that's really, very... Um, I think it, for me as well... A lot of cultural commentary going on there. And... Mm, yeah, completely. And I think um, we I, we probably discussed this at the time when we saw it as well, but, I mean, having had our respective partners go on mm. tour quite a lot into unknown territories of sort of not knowing where mm. they're going to be playing and stuff, it definitely tapped into that kind of like oh shit this is like like the far right and all yeah that real of... world sort of stuff um and i've also got it follows as well yes um so what were your kind of got some I others put... but i'd like to see what you kind of so i went uh i did mine chronologically ah, very good um i started off in 2008 so 10 years ago was yeah. let the right one in yeah i've got that down as an extra um yeah so that's one of my favorite films so it's a swedish so and, and it, i'm referring to the swedish horror swedish film version. by thomas alfredson not the the remake which is i think is let me in actually um, and it's the screenplay is written by the guy who also wrote the book, mm-hmm. whose name I cannot pronounce, but it is basically, if I say it in a horrible English an- accent, Jon Avid Linguist. That sounded but convincing. It is really, if you just Google play it, it's <laughs> impossible. I was like, I can't even learn to say that. And I think that's probably the first one that I think of in terms of like the horror film doing something different, mm-hmm. like sort of being like a very sort of beautiful film. It's really that's very beautiful. touching and it was sort of at the it was kind of a similar time to like when twilight came out so yeah. sort of romantic horror was at the forefront of yeah. everyone's minds and it was like such a strong juxtaposition to those films and it uses a lot of the vampire tropes but it's kind of very very different as well yeah which is if we're thinking about that idea of kind of twisting conventions mm. and stuff i think that is a really because it does example. have all the conventions yeah. like she sleeps at night and she can't go into a house unless she's invited into but it also feels very very different mm-hmm. That's one of my favourite films, I think, and one of my favourite books. So I started with that, and then I went House of the Devil in 2009. You have to watch it because it's so good. And I don't know why I like it so much. I just really, really do. It's um, written, directed, and edited by Ari West, who also directed The Roost and The Innkeepers. Mm -hmm. Um, So it follows a a young college student who's hired as a babysitter at a house that's like in the middle of nowhere. It's just got like an elderly couple. She's got a house sit whilst they go out, and she gets caught up in this kind of really bizarre turn of events and it's it channels the real sort of satanic panic of the 80s so it's all about it's got a very yeah satanic occult Mm -hmm. feel to it Mm -hmm. but it came out in 2009 but it looks like it was filmed it's kind of like the Suspiria trailer so the new Suspiria trailer it looks like it's filmed in the 70s or the 80s so I think they even use the same technology Oh, nice. So it has that camera work. So it looks and feels like a really old film. And it's a real tension builder. So it's like there are some very long, very quiet scenes. Yeah. 
Like, there's a lot of build-up to her getting the babysitting job and, like, almost not going. And then she turns up and they share around the house and, you know, just tell her, you know, the things she needs to do and buy a pizza and here's the phone. I almost think and that... she's left in this house by herself. And, it, yeah. It... I, I think that those kind of, like, long periods of, like, ramping up the tension are actually, like, parts that I often enjoy so They're much. They're the best ones, Yeah, right? because it's sort of like, I'm not someone who necessarily enjoys, like, super gory, mm. graphic, full-on mm. horror stuff. I do find that quite upsetting to watch, but... I think so many I'm exactly the same like I don't it's that stuff that really gets to me I think is that like extended periods of like nothingness but knowing full well that actually like you know something's gonna happen yes. but you're being you're almost being forced to kind of sit through this period of just sheer dread mm-hmm. and unease yes that just gets you to this really not good place yeah. in order to then get and that's like kind of with hereditary like i was saying to wes like the first part i was like it made me feel awful oh yeah but it wasn't a bad thing that no. it made me feel that bad but i genuinely felt sick i just felt distraught watching it that was those but that was a good thing yeah that's almost the parts i think where it works it's at its peak i think mm. almost where it's like it's making you it, i think the term i've heard used in reference to it quite a lot is relentless and yeah. that is it is, it is that, that relentless kind cranking of cranking of it and you don't know what's going to come next or whether you're going to get any kind of release no and especially with a film that has like such big like with charlie dying mm-hmm. um you're like maybe i won't get the release like you don't you just can't guarantee you're going to get no, it with those that uncertainty kinds of films of anymore then i chose drag me to hell which is a bit of a curveball that's 2009 that. it's so Sam Raimi. Yeah, so it's co-written and directed by Sam Raimi and it is kind of just like, it's a total like Sam Raimi fest, evil dead, like slapstick horror but also really disgusting. Well, I say disgusting, it's not that gory but it's fairly mortifying. It's got some really extreme creepy imagery like hereditary. The plot of that focuses on a loan officer who um, wants to prove to her boss that she can make like really hard decisions because she she wants to get a raise. And so she decides uh, that this elderly woman comes in who keeps getting an extension on her her mortgage because she's not paying her mortgage off. And this girl's basically like, look, I have to prove to my boss that I can make the hard decisions so you're not getting any help anymore and you will have to just leave your home like you're done. And this elderly woman happens to be like a gypsy who puts a curse on her. And she's, so the rest of the film... After three days, she has like three days of just like escalating torment because she's been told that she's going to be dragged into hell like at the end. And it's just, it's really, really, it's it's like hereditary reminded me of it a bit in that it's really relentless and yeah. it had some really extreme imagery in it except Drag Me to Hell is really funny at the same that time. That seems very Sam. So very rain- slapstick. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah like... it's very Evil Dead slapstick but also there are some bits in it. There's a seance scene in Drag Me to Hell that I think is genuinely really freaky with like Ooh. a dancing goat and stuff and it's really creepy. Yeah. Whereas I don't think the seance, I didn't find the seance scene in Hereditary as. No, I no, thought that no. was one oh, of its weakest That was scenes. one of its weakest parts, yeah, um, definitely. But because it had such, some really sort of really, I don't know, some imagery that really sticks in your head yeah well that's um, when i was going through and making my list actually i was just thinking of the of the films that actually have really stayed with me yeah the the, the parts of it that were i sort of off, not often come back to but if i think about that film mm. i just think like, oh god i immediately have that visceral like visceral reaction to it oh we'll have to watch both of those yeah please. um i also put it follows um put kind of the same things as you that it's tense suspenseful creepy yeah. that idea of like 
you end up searching the frame in that film oh, yeah, like for anything always... that could be threatening um, because you know that something's coming but you just don't know where it's coming from or who it could be. The thing I remember about when I watched that is like, you just have to pay attention because you're, just, you're constantly yeah. scanning like you say you're just looking like because you're you're almost kind of encouraged in that film in particular to make sure that mm. you're paying attention to like not necessarily what's happening at the mm. forefront that whatever the camera's focusing on at that point that's not yeah. what you should be paying yeah, attention to. Yeah whatever's in the foreground almost. is not yeah, what you should be paying You have to have your wits to. about you almost. And again that reminded me of in hereditary where um near the end with peter oh, when his mum is on the ceiling that's like, almost like a spider like thing and in the cinema i think like there was a like there, there was just like a few moments where gradually like beat by beat people were cluing into the fact that she was there because you don't spot her straight away the way that it's and you could hear people and then other people going like oh my god something's there why have i remember I just grabbing it? you when i realized because you sort of yeah it's like the shot of him isn't it in the mm. middle of the room and it's really dark and there's you're completely low light and then you're you are doing very similar to it follows you're kind of looking around trying to work out yeah. i suppose so much and also the that nah, anyway <laughs> there's like all of the creepy bits in that film so it does work um and i also put the witch um again similar ideas how deeply unsettling it is i do think with the witch actually with regards to hereditary is that similar kind of i remember we we, there are some people that we know that saw the witch and just were like this is not scary this is not scary this is what i thought it would be yeah i thought it would be this but actually Um, i think it's it's all of those kind of subtle elements mm. with the witch that actually really really stay Mm. with you that bit at the end of Hereditary where Peter is in the treehouse uh-huh. and I think the camera's on his face but yeah. you can hear Anne Dowd's character yeah. talking to him yeah. really reminded me of the, the goat scene at the oh. end of The Witch yeah. where it's facing her but the goat is speaking to her. just really reminded me of yeah. that. That was one of the things that... Yeah, so they're my they're my. What five. are some of your um others? Because um, I'd be interested to know actually of what you kind of picked up on. I put I put Kill List. Oh yeah, good one. The ben Wheatley, yeah. Yeah, the great Ben Wheatley film. I put Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods yeah. is in mine as well. Yeah, it was so very good. it was very nearly in my top five. So though. that was the one I took out of mine. I was gonna have a. Six yeah, it was my it was, was mine six as well. And that's such a good film. It's very Poor very very. R.I.P. Liking Joss Whedon. Um, I put The Babadook. <laughs> yeah. Um, I put Under the Shadow. Yeah. I thought that was really good. Same. Get out. And I just added, remember, because we were talking about unsettling the autopsy of Jane Doe. Um, oh yeah, because I haven't seen this. And when I was when I was watching stuff this morning, um, which I'll mention in a second, um, that was coming up as like a. We have to watch it, but I think we have to, genuinely we have. To, that is another one of those films that relies on like the second half of Hereditary relies on a lot of like genre cliche mm-hmm. stuff. It's not really doing anything new, yeah. but it does it in a really, it's, it's really skillfully way. done. Okay. So, and I think there's such a place for that. It really works when it works. Mm-hmm. Like it's a really good, you know, alternative I'm to like really keen fucking to insidious it. or whatever. It's really, really good and creepy. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just don't think it worked as well. Um, what else did you do? I've got, um, well, I've got A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which I don't yes. necessarily think is a horror film, but again, it's not really a horror film, but I don't know what else you'd put it out. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? I think it's hard. They call it a, what is it? Vampire West. And I think that's what the description oh of it was. Cringe. But, no, um, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, so I had Under the Shadow as well. That was a great. Um, I put your next. Oh yeah, your next I was really, really good. I really liked your next. That was I think like a house invasion, home invasion, um, But the thing I, that I liked about your next that you this really stays with me is but when the actual home invaders are in the house and they get attacked by the people mm. whose house are attacking, they actually experience pain and yes. hurt and they get injured yeah. and that it so rarely seems to happen yes. in those types of yeah, films. There definitely. was like a level of kind of reality to it, and I just thought it was very very clever kind of take on those mm. sort of home invasion uh, slasher films. Um, I've also I've also got uh, the purge. 
The first purge is really good. The first purge, I rewatched it That's this morning. That's very heavy on the social commentary. Yeah, I rewatched it this morning, and actually, what was very interesting is the, so the first purge is 2013. God, that's quite recent, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, but actually, watching it from a 2018 setting is like absolutely horrifying. Era. Like genuinely, yeah. I was I was watching it, and and Tom came downstairs and was like, you know, what are you watching? And I was explaining the plot of the purge to him, and and I was just like, it's really horrifying because I just don't think we're very far away from. No, it's no, like, we are so. It's like, oh, it's 2022. Unemployment is at one percent. There is no crime except for this one night when everyone can do anything, and then everything's fine again. And everyone's talking about how it's the great, great new nation of the United States, and how the purge is, you know, doing wonders for doing everything. So and I was well. just, sat, I was just sat there being You're like, just expecting some like fake news. Yeah, thing, so. and the first time I, the first time I watched it, I remember just being like, oh yeah, this is like an interesting concept. Mm. I understand, you know, very much if everyone, anyone mm. has a chance to do what they want, actually, would there then be this less crime because they know that they've got mm. this time coming where they can get away with it but I was just like it's Jesus like especially things well. that have been happening recently I was like mm. fucking hell this feels like almost too prescient too, too prescient um, yeah. I also forget how many sequels there are and I saw an advert on did the you bus. see the sequels no I seen, haven't I don't know why I've seen them but I have there's another including one including election year oh have you seen election year yeah. well I said I'd want to watch election year I haven't seen any of them well again I'd... I guess they were like hey we've really onto something with this <laughs> right yeah. um, I saw a, when I was walking home yesterday there's a new one right there's the, the first purge oh god yeah because it's a going back to the beginning which yeah. but like it's when you run out of ideas and yeah. you go let's do a prequel I think the thing I like about The Purge is that it has Ethan Hawke in it and oh, Lena, yeah. Lena Headley as well and one, and the boy that. that's like the leader of the freaks is like from Home and Away <laughs> I'd forgotten I don't about. remember that no, that's he's pretty, pretty he's really cute and I was like oh I wonder what he what was what are you in, in? Oh, my mum would recognise him then yeah I thought my mum would recommend um, and the other one I'd got down as well um, was uh, Sinister have you seen Sinister I have seen Sinister I like Sinister I think because it was I don't there are parts. Who's the guy in Sinister? It's Ethan Hawke again. It is Ethan yeah, Hawke. Yeah, which is, it? I which it is might funny. Um, I like the concept of Sinister because it's like a writer who moves mm. to a location and uses like local murders and, mm. and crimes to kind of inform what mm. he's writing, and he ends up seeing some snus films. And it's just it's like an interesting yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. But um, it it actually like Hereditary it does take a weird like supernatural twist towards the end, yes. which is so unnecessary. Yes. Um, but I think sometimes it's, it works. Sometimes yeah. It but it's definitely it's kind of it's quite creepy. Um, that's two thousand and twelve as well. So, yeah, I mean, it was really interesting going back and looking at kind of some of the stuff because, like I said, I wouldn't necessarily have considered myself as, Mm. like being someone that like watches a lot of no. I know often when we sort of talk about kind of the type of films that we will almost gravitate mm. towards a little more yeah. I've never never really enjoyed horror like yeah. as much as you so it has yeah. been interesting to see actually how there has been that sea change there's actually been quite a yeah. lot in recent years yeah yeah I absolutely. definitely think it's the genre that people are recognizing you can do a lot more with because there are no boundaries with it and I think it allows the genre gives you the opportunity to kind of test different kind of scenarios yeah and, and, absolutely um you know and yeah like a purge like scenario suddenly doesn't seem as ridiculous in the context of like a horror film whereas if that was in a different context it would just seem like really silly yeah it's interesting how there's um one of the things that comes up in that article is actually how um they talk about kind of the stylization of other national horror films is finally coming Mm. to work on american horror so actually you know if you think about kind of things that have been coming out of japan Mm. korea asia as a whole kind of italy if you think about and they've always yeah and they've always been regarded as like the highbrow horror films haven't they so like Japanese horror has always been 
sort of put on a pedestal above like when i was when i was looking at stuff actually a sort of a lot of the stuff so probably you know late 90s early 2000s mm. so much of that is kind of from those mm. particular areas so it's interesting how actually maybe kind of american filmmaking in particular is kind of actually turning its head to the yeah sort of almost you've got like a whole generation of directors who have been brought up watching that yeah. stuff and are now doing something a bit different. yeah yeah completely Cool. Well, I mean, I would be really interested to hear what other people think of Hereditary yeah, in particular. Yeah, I'd love to see what people thought, because we've had a couple of people who felt similar. Very I similar just didn't understand. I just, when we came out of it and I thought like, oh, I did, en- like, I did enjoy it. And I think it is a good film. Oh, yeah. And like as a debut film, that's a really good film. Yeah. But I was like, it does have, I was underwhelmed by it because there was so much hype. And I listened to quite a few, a couple of podcasts and things afterwards with some really like, people who are really experts in that genre who are really overhyping it and I just don't I'm it's, it's, slightly baffled as yeah, to I why mean, people are saying like this is the most amazing piece of filmmaking yeah. I've ever seen. I mean, I think you know and maybe I'm missing something. Yeah, but. I think it's 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 really interesting visually. Like, look at the cinematography of it is awesome, and I do think it's one of those films where you could probably like analyze mm. elements of it for hours. And um, sometimes I thought it was trying to be a bit too clever, though. Yeah. Like, the way in which the witch, in which the witch really plays with that idea of is there something supernatural actually going on? Or is it all in, you know, or is it yeah. just a product of like hysteria? And that's very sim, you know, I felt like that was the kind of vibe they were trying to give here. But I, was, I never really fo- followed that it's all in, it's just Annie playing out her trauma. Line. Yeah. I just never believed that. The thing with the witch, isn't it, is that it's like that religious hysteria mm. and it's sort of like that, you know, it's set in kind of, you know, like colonial kind of mm. New England. And, and I think you're led down that direction and then it changes, like tide changes so much yeah. at the end and you get this twist. Whereas with Hereditary, I didn't feel that. No, it's interesting because, you know, in Hereditary, like you said, they allude to sort of this thread of mental health problems mm. in the family and, and actually whether Annie is actually sort of experiencing signs like of that. Like acting out her yeah, PTSD, and I, Yeah, and I think actually there could have been really interesting things to kind of explore there, mm. but instead it diverts down this kind of occult pagan road, which I'm fine with because I think that's yeah. that's interesting. In a, I'm but, not sure how the two points the marry, two don't, the like, seem, two didn't marry for me. Deep-rooted family trauma through generations and then also just takes then, a swerve yeah it's kind of it didn't quite marry up for me no so I, I I think I would be really interested to hear what other people say because mm. I do think it is one of those sort of films it's quite it seems quite polarizing yeah, and yeah. I think that the recent kind of press acclaim and sort of discussion mm. about it probably has um bled into that and is think I think is probably why we were like so pumped I was really pumped for it I genuinely <laughs> I thought it was gonna fuck I did me come up out and... underwhelmed I mean on reflection I've thought about it a lot so it's obviously a good thing but it's just made me more pumped for Suspiria which I never yes. thought I'd say yeah but. well absolutely that, that trailer um, so um, our obsession of the week what's so, yours you what's go mine? first well, I don't really I think I've watched a lot of Ethan Hawke films recently have you yeah I don't I'm, I didn't know that I'm super pumped for this movie coming out um, in three weeks oh yes called First, first Reformed, Reformed. Um, it's Ethan Hawke and Amanda Seyfried um, directed written and directed by Paul Schrader he of Taxi Driver and various other things in yes. the past um, I'm really I'm looking forward, looking to, that forward as well. to it. I love Ethan Hawke. Tom and I had a discussion about Ethan Hawke the other day, and Tom had to sit me down and go, "Like, I don't understand why you love him so much." <laughs> what is your reasons behind? Um, I think that. Have you seen Reality Bites? No. 
Uh, have you seen any of the Before Sunrise movies? No, I don't think okay. I have. I think so. Um, I really liked Dead Poets Society when I was a young, oh, yeah, young yeah, yeah, yeah. Hawk. And then I'm there's the the Richard Linklater trilogy of Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight, mm-hmm. um, which I absolutely adore. They're some of my favorite films. Is that like young Ethan Hawke? Yeah. Um, and then Reality Bites is like Ethan Hawke in his pinnacle. Mm-hmm. And I think he's an incredibly underrated actor. What's interesting is that he has made some absolute trash. Oh, we love um, a good boy. Who does some but then also trash. has done like some very good independent movies. Um, so uh, I made Tom watch Training Day last weekend Excellent. which I fucking love Training Day so much it's like a film that I probably no one would expect me to love as much oh. as I do but it's just so good um, so I've just spent a lot of time reading Ethan Hawke interviews watching Ethan Hawke movies I listened to an amazing podcast which was a Bill Simmons interview where he talks to Ethan Hawke about his kind of career and, and stuff and he's just a very interesting actor so I think mine's probably um, Ethan Hawke slash Go on. Um, shamefully Alex I was literally about to say we hadn't mentioned no. the most well, important bit... takeaway from Hereditary. <sighs> okay, so which is I that wasn't... you're a pervert? No. <laughs> but... So the thing coming out of Hereditary, I didn't. I like want... that we both felt it though, because yeah, I knew I you were going to say it when we I came didn't... out. Well, I just looked at you two seconds into the fucking film and was like, so um, the thing that I tweeted when I came out of seeing Hereditary was Alex Wolf is 22. Becca Babe for a small person. Oh, is he 22 or 20? No, he's 21. Oh, he's 21. Because he's he's either just turned 22 or he's about to turn 22. Because we worked out that he's younger than Timmy and Timmy's 22. I just feel desperate. Remember, that was my limit, but apparently now (laughs) it's not my limit because Alex Wolf is feel desperately, uh. desperately shameful. He's got like real Jake Gyllenhaal vibes. Oh my god, don't. That's what it is. It's like the lips. He's got real Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, sorry, lip he's twenty. Vibes. My 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 takeaway my takeaway tweet was <gasps> Alex Wolf is twenty years old. Bye. Oh, shit. It's that picture I sent you of him, that black and white. So he was image. born in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah. Nineteen ninety eight. Anyway, oh he's really cute. God. He's really cute. And he he's is. very good in this film. He's, he's very, very good. A standout and then, element of and this And then film. the problem was I found out that he's in this movie with um, Asa Butterfield, who's like 12 as That's well. That's gross. such a great name. Asa Butterfield. Delightful Butterfield. name, isn't it? Um, and it's about like two kids who form a punk band. And I saw a picture of Alex Wolf wearing a replacements t shirt, oh which is like, which killed me. And then on his Instagram, he posted of some videos of himself like singing in the style of different musicians because oh he's a God. musician as well is it and two of them were like he sang in the style of like elliot smith oh God. and then also he did like i the bet Na- he's a really big elliot smith fan, yeah and then he did it? the national which was just like game over for me wasn't it because so. i don't think we were really i don't remember us pointing him out during my friend dharma no he was like fine i guess eight <laughs> probably eight i went down from 12 to eight um, he's fine but now he's like he's very very hot in this film and that's probably not what you should be thinking when you're watching this no, movie no you're not but it's a good way to distract from the general trauma I think that's why we've, we've talked before about how it's difficult to watch stuff sometimes well, you just if you fixating don't fancy on, anyone like his pouty lips yeah just he just has a nice through. face doesn't he he so. does have nice face I said hair. that he also he has he's like very Jake Gyllenhaal like you said but he's also like very Seth Cohen, very Adam. He is very Seth very Cohen. Adam Brody, circa yeah. two thousand four. So he is. I can get on board with that. It's as the well. hair and the face. So I think sorry. he's going to age impeccably. He's going to age very well. So Lovely. I feel partially graced about that. Um, and my phone background is still Chris Evans. Ah, <laughs> uh, do you know what I haven't? My current I haven't phone background it. is my mum. 
and Aww. me, so it's not even Niecy. like a hot, thirsty babe. Oh. It's Niecy. Niecy's the best. Um, What's your obsession of the week? Um, it's probably Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor. Ugh, fine. Trent we, talk Reznor about Trent, we didn't talk about Trent Reznor in his... Just the hot daddy of everything. Isn't it like, a lot? He's just so gorgeous. Isn't it, like, too he's much? He's so to... small. Like, he's very short, but he's just so packed. So... And he's so broody. What I would like to just discuss briefly, while on the topic of Trent Reznor, is the fact that I, I never, at any point in my adolescence and... Just at any point have I thought, like, did I think really that Trent Reznor was that hot? No. And then, not like young, no, young Trent Reznor. No. Though. And then it was like when he sort of has got aged ripped. and got ripped. And then when we saw him in Paris. Where he was wearing like time, a tank top thing. A tank vest, top. Like a long vest. Trousers. Yeah. It was like trainers. an all black ensemble. Yeah. I was like, wow, this is a lot. Pumped. And then since then. In Twin Peaks, with the leather jacket and the glasses. Game over. He's such a stone cold hottie he's like unreal isn't it funny though because I think when you look at pictures of him from the past when he was like clearly see our friend Maddie is really into like yeah addicted scummy skinny drug addled Trent Reznor yeah skinny goth long haired drug addled yeah. drug addled Trent Reznor I, I'm I'm kind of into him then because I would be like I'm into him but like now dad, dad Trent Reznor dad Reznor with his four kids and his gorgeous wife I just want to sleep with them both oh, they too so much, much. Aren't they too much? Um, I'd like he was wearing what black t-shirt, combat trousers, combat boots. trousers. They had to keep pulling up, and these massive I, boots. So we had no. It's just small man. We had like no reception in the festival hall no, for it was long so periods annoying. of time. I was trying to text you, and being I like, oh my. I kept word. texting you. I think one of the texts I sent you was like, every time he pulls up his trousers, I want to die mm-hmm. because he, I, I, he kept walking to the back of the stage, didn't he? Like jump, and I was just like, please kill me. I can't. This is too much. He's just too much. He's just so Isn't handsome. He's just the kid. He's just. Like, isn't it funny? I don't think I'd ever think he's such a powerhouse of like talent. I never thought that he's very serious and he's very handsome. So talented. I I never thought I'd fancy Trent Reznor as much as I do. And his name's Trent Reznor. Trent Reznor. Reznor. Mrs. Reznor. Anyway, Trent. Trent. I never thought I'd fancy someone called Trent April. Trent. That's not. That's not a name that I'm usually stoked on. Trent. Stoked on. I'm stoked on Trent. Stoked. (laughs) Yes. British joke that no one else cares oh, about. British comedy. We should go. Um, so um, that's us done for episode 19. You can find us online, Twitter, we're at the thirst, soundcloud.com forward slash the thirst pod. You can subscribe and review us on iTunes by searching the thirst. Instagram, we're at the thirst pod. Our Tumblr is the thirstpod.tumblr.com and our email is the thirstpod at gmail.com. Bye. Bye. Send us your horror lists. <laughs>